the front lines. This is Sportsnet Today on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Sportsnet Today. Sportsnet 590 The Fan. George Russick, Matt Marchese here for the next three hours of what we hope is your listening enjoyment. Busy, busy program. In about 30 minutes, Justin Cuthbert covers the Maple Leafs and the National Hockey League for Yahoo Sports. He'll join us, tee up the Leafs and Senators. Good God, it feels like the North Division all over again. Can we please play an American team? We'll talk to him in 30 minutes. Ian Mendez, senior writer for The Athletic. At 10 o'clock, we'll talk some Ottawa Senators. Fresh off that win over the Maple Leafs, and they're happy that Brady Kachuk signed long-term in Ottawa. We'll talk to him. Brandon Deeg, National Football Post writer. Talk week six of the National Football League. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers continue to look like the Super Bowl champions. And in my opinion, the favorites probably to win it all again. Talk to him at 1035. Hazel May, always lovely. Blue Jays reporter covering the ALCS for Sportsnet. Talking about the Red Sox and the Astros. Is it possible both teams could lose this? Please. And Jay Kahn, co-host of The Point in the Fantasy Hockey Show on Sirius XM NHL Radio at 11.30. We have a busy, busy show. Matt, good morning. Uh, it's fun to do a show with you today. I'm playing hurt today. Are you, George? Wait, you, would you get into a, uh, you have a little knee thing going on? You got a little shoulder thing going no. on? No. What's going on here, George? No, playing ho- hungover today. Uh, when our <laughs> friends celebrated... Uh, little birthday last night, and uh, yeah, I'm playing a little hurt today. Um, shoot us a text, 590-590. What's your hangover cure? What's your go-to hangover cure? 590-590, name and location, please. See, I was going to do my patented, Matt, last night is have a Gatorade and a couple Advils and then just shut it down for the night. Didn't yep. happen. And now I'm, I'm kind of feeling the effects of that this morning. Uh, what's your go-to hangover cure? Uh, that it's pretty much that. Um, before the Gatorade, though, lots of water, lots of water, and then and then throw in. Uh, I use a leave, throwing a little leave in there, um, okay. and then actually the Gatorade is for the morning for me. Okay. And I, uh, and that... I, ha- I haven't had one of those in a while. At that being yep. a hangover, um, because mm-hmm. I, I just can't, I can't do that anymore, George. Uh, we are of a vintage where it lasts for longer than a day. <laughs> I uh yeah like I it's been a while since I've been hung over and it's okay like I I like to yeah I like to swim around in the pool of truth with our listeners you know that I wake up try to do a good show for you you can tell my voice too is even deeper than usual like that's what I know I've really gotten after it hey I'm re- like it's lack of sleep or I've really gotten after it and I kind of like it like when the voice like this hello ladies I love it when it's uh, like this. You got the yeah, little Barry um, White going? Yeah. <laughs> My darling. Uh, I, um, it's better when you eat greasy food, too. Right? Yes. I think that's that's the key, too. If you have some McDonald's or whatever uh, really late before you pass out, that's always a good idea, too, because at least it kind of... I don't know. I don't even know if there's any science behind it because you always hear, soaks up the booze. I'm not sure, but an empty stomach, a full stomach is better for your hangover than an empty stomach. That I do know, I think, Matt. Yeah, bread is uh, is a big thing as well. I know a lot of people that do that. Like we we've been to we've been to weddings 
where, uh, you know, a little too much alcohol consumption and people just, okay. you, you know, Italians and bread. I mean, it's, yep. it's like, you know, it's a, it's a standard and, and that's no, what they I, go for. Yeah. I will. I grew up on, um, Italian bread. My dad used to go to the bakery in the morning, uh, every day. And I, I never had wonder bread growing up. It was always fresh Italian bread that he would buy. And then when I had wonder bread later on in life, I'm like, this is delicious. It tastes like dessert. <laughs> and people are like, why do you like wonder bread? I go, cause it's awesome. I've never had it really before. I actually had like real bread and they're like, no, you don't want to eat wonder bread. Like it's just, and no disrespect to wonder bread. It's just like, this was so sweet to me. It's such a delicacy. Texts are coming in hot right now. Your hangover cure. Uh, Matt from Brampton, Hangover Cure, another beer, works every time. Matt, I think oh, we need no. to have a, uh, a sit-down <laughs> We need to get you in a room. With you, pal. I think it's <laughs> maybe to time to uh, maybe uh, take that look, long, hard look in the mirror and maybe not go that down that road. Uh, Josh from Waterloo, uh, the go-to is half-empty room temp beer from the coffee table before work. Again, Josh, that's not, that's not good. Stephen Burlington, greasy breakfast in the morning cures all. Yes, that's a good start. That's a good start. Yeah, that's it's not bad. Um, this one, uh, Bucky and Kitchener. Careful with that one when you're hungover. Uh, pickle <laughs> juice, George. Works every time. Have a great show. You'll be craving I, that Caesar cone 3 p.m. today. Pickle juice. Am I going to go sit there and just put brine down my throat? <laughs> you know what, George? I've I've heard that same thing about pickle juice, actually. I don't know what it is about the pickle juice, but I have heard that same thing. Have I tried it? Not a chance. Um, but I, I have heard of that before as uh as a cure. So maybe mm -hmm. maybe you need to maybe you need to go reach in the fridge and grab some pickle brine there, buddy. And just and just like do I like chug it? I just put it and it's like you're chugging it so fast it just runs down the side of your mouth too. <laughs> Like you're like you're so dehydrated, like like you just ran you just ran around the track trying to set uh, your own personal best. That kind of w running down the side of your mouth. Um, producer uh, Derek Bardeo says you dip it in the brine, the pickle, and then you suck on the pickle over and over again. Like that's just, I'm not like. So what I'm gonna do during the break is I'm gonna run upstairs and suck on a pickle. That's just not gonna happen. <laughs> If that isn't a terrific drop, I don't know what is. Uh, Craig in Toronto, ice cream, uh, ice cream specifically chip witches. No, an ice cream sandwich would not be bad at this point. It wouldn't be, but It'd George, be refreshing. It's it's the it's the the dairy that would be the problem for me. I feel like dairy after for a hangover probably not the best. Hmm. Uh, I got. I actually got a message from a, a friend of mine, my friend Brennan. Um, he just said, Shout out to "I didn't want to." I, I he love said, Brennan, "I didn't want to." Reminds me of the movie Step Brothers. Brennan. <laughs> yes. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> he said, uh, "He said I didn't want to text this in, but just uh, just man up and just deal with it." <laughs> that's that's a that is a King City shout out King City Secondary School. That is a King City Secondary School mantra. Just well, man up and deal with it. Yeah, I'm working, Brennan. Am I not? Did I call in sick or something, Brennan? You did not, George. You you were on the ball. Yeah, team. you are. You hey, are here hey, with Brennan. your very white voice. Thank you, uh, Brennan. How about trying to have some fun on a show for once here too? <laughs> hey, people like to share their hangover cures. It's fun. It's radio. We're supposed to have fun here. We're not splitting the atom. 
We're not trying to cure cancer here. It's just sports talk radio. Hey, hey speak Calm for yourself. Down, I'm Brennan. trying to split the atom here. How about you block Brennan on your texts? Uh, nah, you nah Brennan's, Brennan's a good guy. He's a good guy. Okay. All right. One more, a uh, couple more here. Keep them rolling in, please. 590-590. Aaron, got to bite that dog. That bit you. Always a morning Caesar or a beer. Oof. I'm not a Caesar no. guy. Like I can make a delicious Caesar. I'm just not a Caesar guy. Yeah, I, I like I like Caesars. I don't mind them, um, but I just honestly sometimes just the smell of alcohol um, after you've had it, alcohol and, and uh, you know, exorbitant amount of it the, the previous night. Yeah, alcohol is not really that. I know I know some people and George um, again another King City Secondary School tradition, uh, Beeriel. Come on, it's exactly what you would imagine. It's awful. Cheerios and beer. Seriously. Well, it could be any cereal, which is the worst yeah, because, part. Yeah, because, okay, okay. You can't, so people in King City always like, you know what? I have some Frosted Flakes in the, in the old pantry. I'm going <laughs> to put that down and pour some, pour some Pabst Blue Ribbon with my Frosted Flakes. You, oh, like, PBR on, was, a, PBR and, and was a beer of choice. Come on. Uh, Fraser downtown. Fraser downtown. Uh, how about you grow a set and learn how to drink? All right, Fraser. Here we go. Fraser, why is there so much hate in your heart? Maybe put a song in it instead. Maybe put a song in it instead. Keep them rolling in. Uh, we'll read them throughout the morning. 590-590. I'm going to ask guests to today what their hangover cure is. And I'm sure we'll get the, I don't really drink ever. Okay, fine. I get it. You're better than me. I get it. You're going to throw it right in my face. Um, Leafs lose that game in Ottawa on uh, Thursday night, Matt, and uh, Peter Morazic gets hurt. Very Maple Leafs loss here. And you and I have talked about this. And, again, it's only two games into the season, but it continues to be a glaring weakness, and I feel like it hasn't been addressed. The bottom six on this team, quite frankly, just isn't good enough. And do you see it getting better anytime soon? Bottom six forwards. Well, here's the here's the here's the thing that that kind of gets me here, George, is that that I think that that bottom six works in the regular season. It's it's not overly physical, like the, you know. I think Cash is a, a pretty decent player. You know, we'll see what we get from Angval. It, it might very well be just much of the same. But and, and David Camp is you know he's just the guy. The lack of physicality is what hasn't changed on that line they're all decent players and some might be pretty good but the issue that i have is that it's just it's the kind of the same the same old same old the same story that we've seen with the least bottom six they're not overly tough they're not overly physical um and yes that that could work in the regular season and it's proven to have worked in the regular season but when it matters are those guys going to be able to give you those you know, hard minutes that you need in the playoffs. And I, I just don't know that that's there. Um, Talent-wise, sure. I mean, Andre Kasha is a really talented player. Um, does he really fit in that third-line kind of grinded-out type role? Probably not. And that's what I'm looking for as part of the bottom six. But, you know, again, it's just much of the same from what we've seen. Or is it simple to say that, uh, this team just can't afford to play without Austin Matthews. It's just a different-looking team. And when you pay uh, four guys uh, pretty much a, a huge chunk of the salary cap, 
when one of them is out of the lineup, uh, you suffer. And I think that's what we're seeing through two games, no? Well, for sure. And, you know, the biggest thing about that is the power play, right? And I know that, you know, Jason Spezza scored a power play goal and a great shot. Um, but the look that you get and, – and the other thing is, too, George, is guys start to slot in where they're supposed to. So Alex Kerfoot probably is going to the third line. Uh, I guess I guess for the time being, he's, he's not going to be. But, um, you know, like everybody slots in where they're supposed to when – everybody's healthy and they just, they don't have that right now because Austin Matthews is out. I think the biggest thing is the power play would have a totally different look. Like I, I look at that second unit and I just go, ugh, that doesn't look very good. You know, Nylander's on that second unit. Rasmus Sandin's look good. But when you have, when you have um, Austin Matthews on your first unit, it bumps, you know, someone who's supposed to be on the second unit to where they're supposed to be. So when you're not healthy, I think that's the biggest issue is that guys are just slotted differently. And I'm not really, I'm not really willing to make a, a, an overall assessment on this team, especially offensively, just yet when you're missing a guy that's probably, you know, a lock for 50 goals this year. Yeah, and and that situation, I feel like, I don't know what, did it take too long to get that? little surgery to fix him up a little bit did, did, I know surgery is always kind of like the last resort but I, I'm not sure because I feel like w shouldn't he have been 100% healthy heading into this season if he really was dealing with that wrist issue all season I feel like yeah and it's only three games we think for the to begin the regular season that Austin Matthews is going to sit but you, you just have that feeling that okay is this going to be still an issue this season so he's going to miss these three games and we can really put this behind us Matt obviously we don't know we don't know what the wrist is going to do we don't know what it's going to look like but that guy was phenomenal last year with a bum wrist and we can everybody can put past this after these three games he'll be 100% healthy because it's it's worrisome to me that it has dragged into this season uh, I'm of two minds on this. One, yes, get it done. Um, two, I think what they were trying to do was avoid surgery if they could. Like if the if the healing process was better, uh, the recovery process, whatever you want to call it, if that was if that worked out better, I think at at all costs you want to avoid going under the knife for anything, right? Um, yeah. if it, if it healed itself naturally, then that's, I think what they wanted, but then it got to a point where they said, okay, you know, there, there's like a drop dead date, right? It's like, okay, you know, we can't, we can't go any further than this. You have to have it by this day and that's fine. Um, it's a, it's a wrist injury. So I'm a little bit, you know, less concerned, make sure he's healthy, you know, missing three games at the beginning of the season is not a big deal. Um, because when I look at, you know, the Atlantic division. I don't think that the Leafs are not going to make the playoffs. I think the Leafs are pretty much a lock to make the playoffs in the Ooh, Atlantic. Uh, I would, I, I would not say a lot. Well, I, I, I would say that in that it, they, I, they need to be a top four team. And I'm just not convinced that that Boston has done enough to make themselves all that much better. Right. Their goaltending. We'll see like there, there's a lot of question marks there. So I look at the Leafs top to bottom they're a really good regular season team. They always have been. I have no, I have no um, reservations that they're they're not going to make the playoffs. So missing three games for me at the beginning of the season isn't a big deal. If we get to five or six or seven, then I think there's some concern that's going to creep in. But if it's only three, I'm I'm okay with it. Do you think the Leafs' goaltending is that much better than the Bruins' goaltending? 
I think if they're healthy, okay, so here's the question, George. Are they healthy? And already Peter Morazic's hurt. So that was the the one kind of storyline that I don't think we talked about enough with this Leaf team was you have two goalies that are, you know, that have a tendency to be injury prone. And they don't play, you know, we can't say full seasons because no goalie plays a full season anymore, quote unquote. But if they if these guys are gonna miss, you know, 15 starts each or 10 starts each, that's 20 games or you know, that's 20 games to 30 games where Michael Hutchinson is up with your club. And that just can't happen. Right. And and I think that was one thing that just wasn't talked about enough was yeah, Peter Morazic when he plays is really good. Jack Campbell, when he plays, also really good. But it's when they play, and that's the concern that I have. So do I think that that the Leafs goaltending is better than Boston's? Yes. But that's, you know, hoping that both of these guys can stay healthy. And like we said, already Peter Morazic has a has an injury. Is this a case where, um, not that he's going to get Wally pipped, Peter Morazic, but is this a case where Jack Campbell can really solidify his place as the number one goaltender? on this team and because I don't know how to I don't know how to take Campbell this season I really don't because you look at last year that was great I had that incredible string of 11 victories in a row and he was good in the playoffs he wasn't great I think he faded in that series at the end of the Habs you can't let you just can't let in that Brendan Gallagher goal in game seven you just can't do that uh, if if you want to win in the Stanley Cup playoffs and I'm, I'm absolutely not pitting what happened to the Habs on Jack Campbell, but he wasn't good enough either in that series, especially at the back end of it. I just don't know what a good regular season means for the Maple Leafs and Jack Campbell here because it, it, can he perform as the number one guy here? You think if he really starts to shine that he'll play about 65 to 70% of the games or when Morazic is back, it's going to be still a 60-40 kind of deal. I think we're – I think – because they want to keep both goalies fresh, it's going to be closer to a 60-40 deal. I don't think it's going to be because Jack Campbell isn't performing. Um, I will also disagree with your take that Jack Campbell wasn't good at the end of the series. I just thought that there was a lot of pressure on him to perform because the Leafs weren't scoring goals. I agree the Gallagher goal was not good, but I'm I'm certainly not going to um, pit the Leafs' downfall on, on Jack Campbell. I thought he no, was but, excellent in okay, the series. Okay, Matt, but sometimes you need your goalie to steal you a game. You know, sometimes you need your forwards to score goals too, George. What's that? Sometimes you need your forwards to score goals. Absolutely. But sometimes you also need your goalie to steal you a game, right? And again, that we don't want to talk about that, but that game's that goal, Brennan Gallagher, that's inexcusable. That was super weak. And that just broke the backs of the Leafs. And you're right. uh, They looked fragile. uh, They folded under the pressure and they didn't even score. Obviously the Nylander goal came really late. Didn't matter. It was already done. But yeah, like sometimes you need your goalie to steal you a game. And is Jack Campbell a guy that can honestly? Do you think Jack Campbell can lead this team deep into the Stanley Cup playoffs? I know the guy's got a ton of pedigree, where he was drafted, what he did in junior. But as an NHL as an NHL goaltender, he's been good, not great. And we still don't even know if he's a guy that can run and carry the mail with you. Do you honestly think that Jack Campbell, when you look at all the Stanley Cup winners of the past, the last decade or so? Jack Campbell's a guy that can potentially get in there and win you a Stanley Cup or at least get you deep into the playoffs. And, of course, the name that pops right into your head is Matt Murray, who seems like he can't find anything in Ottawa right now after struggling at the end of his time in Pittsburgh. But Jack Campbell's a guy you think who can lead the Leafs deep into the Stanley Cup playoffs. I think that you have had worse goalies lead 
uh, their teams to Stanley Cup glory um, or or a deep run. Uh, at the end of the day, for me, I, I don't think that I don't think goaltending is going to be this team's biggest issue. I honestly don't, and I and I don't think that it's going to be their defense either. I, I'm. I don't know if it's going to be Jack Campbell that can lead them to playoff success. It may be a combination of Jack Campbell and Peter Morazic. Like I said, I think the talent is there. At the end of the day, what it's going to come down to with these two goalies is health. I don't think talent is the issue. I thought that Jack Campbell was was really good against Montreal in the first game. And, again, and granted, I don't think that Montreal is an offensive juggernaut. They certainly weren't last year, and I don't think they are this year. But – was really solid, kept the Leafs in the game, especially the way the Leafs started. Like, I'm I'm willing to give Jack Campbell a shot here. Um, am I am I trusting the fact that he's or trusting the you know the notion that he's going to stay healthy for a whole season? No, I'm not, and and I don't with Peter Morazic either. So, as long as they're healthy, I have no problem with the goaltending. I do have an issue with again the lack of physicality that you have on this roster just it, it's just not there maybe maybe they'll change my mind maybe we'll see things maybe the style will will change a little bit over the course of 82 games but i i certainly don't see it right now and when it comes to physicality right it's tough to to play a physical brand of hockey night in night out in the regular season and the leafs just need to see it and you're right i just Obviously, bringing guys in like Richie, uh, he definitely has to have that physical bunting. Like, those guys have to have that physical edge to them. Wayne Simmons has to stay healthy and be an impact player because I thought he struggled big time in that series against the Habs. We'll see if he can kind of recapture some of that magic he had for the Maple Leafs before hurting his wrist. But, yeah, like, physicality, sure, I, I, I agree. I just need to see it in the playoffs. I don't need to see it so much in the regular season. Just get into the playoffs and have a decent position here so you can actually win a first-round series. You and I have been talking about this subject, and I think it popped in there uh, on the weekend when uh, the Charlie McAvoy extension, eight years, $76 million, and it's incredible what defensemen are getting, $9.5 million AV, AAV for Charlie McAvoy. And it's funny how Maple Leaf fans don't realize how much money Morgan Riley's going to make because they think Morgan Riley's a good, not great defenseman. Is Morgan is Charlie McAvoy really that much better than Morgan Riley? Is he a better defenseman? I, I guess he is. But on the open market, uh, what is Morgan Riley going to make here, um, Matt? Because I think uh, it's going to be a lot of money, and it's going to surprise a lot of Leaf fans because he obviously is going to price his way out of Toronto. What do you think that contract is going to look like? Because defensemen are getting paid in the NHL. Well, defensemen always seem to, especially lately, they always get paid. Um, but Charlie McAvoy is significantly younger. Well, I mean, not significantly, but he's younger than Morgan Riley. And I, I think that Riley comes in under that number, even on the open market. Even if it's slightly under, I think he's under. Um, so what did McAvoy get? 9.5. I think Morgan yeah. Riley is probably in the like eight and a half range. Cause I'm just trying to think of the Seth Jones contract, Seth Jones, Darnell nurse, like those guys signed big tickets as well. Um, this off season. So, I mean, that that's going to be, that's going to be a big thing as well. Um, Seth Jones came in at 9.5. Darnell nurse came in just under that. I just, I don't see a situation where Morgan Riley is getting more than Seth Jones I, I, or or Charlie McAvoy for that no. matter. I think he's probably in the eight 
eight and a half to 8.75 range on a, on a seven year deal with, you know, whoever it is, um, whether it's the lease or not, um, the lease obviously could be an eight year deal, but that that's kind of how I'm approaching it. He's not better than Charlie McAvoy for me. He's not better than Seth Jones for me. I mean, you could maybe make the argument that he's, he's more along the lines of a Darnell nurse. Cause I think he's better offensively than Darnell nurse, but I don't think he's, you know, he doesn't add that physical element defensively that Darnell nurse does. So I think that's where kind of the balance is, but I don't see that number any higher than nine George and and still like that's a lot of money let's not okay let's yeah, not no, forget but, about but, that <laughs> right we're not yeah and and the point I was trying to make is yeah I don't think Morgan Riley's gonna make that like nine or ten million dollars no but uh he's gonna make a hell of a lot more than his five and change he's making right now at the Maple Leafs and he this is it he's not playing for the Maple Leafs next season there's no way they can have unless they trade uh one of the big four unless one of them's out the door Morgan Riley's gone, and enjoy Morgan Riley's last season as a Maple Leaf because defensemen are just getting a ton of cake. Where's Morgan Riley going to go? I have no idea. But there's no chance. How? How would they be able to keep him at around? Even even if he took a discount, Matt, okay, he goes, all right, give me eight for eight. Right? Give me the Phil Kessel contract, the eight for eight, $64 million, eight, eight, mil, eight AAV, they can't. They, they have no room to pay Morgan Riley eight million dollars. Where where that Correct. where's that going to fit? And how much do you have to even subtract more from your the blue line and your bottom six forwards? Then you got to go sign out and just lottery ticket after lottery ticket to hope that they can contribute here on the bottom six. I I agree. I don't see a situation where they can pay him unless they kind of do some some shuffling here, but. You know, I, and that's where that's where the development of Rasmus Sandin is so important. And I think we're seeing it early. They're putting him in situations that you know he probably wouldn't have been in last year. And I think they're kind of grooming him for that role. Like he's playing the second unit on the power play. Would I be surprised at some point this season if Rasmus Sandin is quarterbacking the first power play? I would not be shocked at all. So I think that's what they're doing. I, I saw him play a little bit with TJ Brody the other night just kind of mixing and matching when, you know, if one guy's killing a penalty or whatever. But I think that they are grooming Rasmus Sandin for a bigger role because, listen, Kyle Dubas is is not a fool. Kyle Dubas knows exactly what their their cap situation is. And we know that the cap is not going up, at least significantly, for the next little bit. So with that being said, I just don't – I agree. I don't see a situation where Morgan Riley is back because, you know – I'm all for athletes making as much money as possible as quickly as possible because their their lifespan as an athlete is is just not it, it can change in an instant. So make your money. So I'm fine with that. But I I know that the Leafs know that the situation that they're in, it's kind of just like, hey, we got to get through this year. You know, hopefully we can win a Stanley Cup, but Morgan Riley is going to be a, a you know, a casualty of the cap. It, whatever the circumstances are following this season. I just, I agree. I don't see a situation where like, you're not trading William Nylander on a $6.9 million deal. It's just not happening. And you can't move John Tavares's contract and you're not cha- trading Austin Matthews. And I don't want to go into the Mitch Marner thing again, because he's not going anywhere right now. If this team crashes and burns, then maybe we see a situation where somebody gets dealt and Morgan Riley stays, but if they get to the playoffs and win a couple rounds, he's going to be the guy that's going to be gone. Yeah, because defensemen are just 
it's insane. I I just it, it's it's funny how quickly this is all started in the league. How all of a sudden, boom! Uh, these monster contracts for blue liners are just being handed out. The Dougie Hamilton deal, and obviously that's an unrestricted free agent contract with Seth Jones, and now Charlie McAvoy. Big, big deals, and Morgan Riley must be like, man, uh, it's gonna, he is going to hit an absolute grand slam in free agency if he has a good – he doesn't even have to have a great season, Matt. He just has to have a good season, and he's going to hit an absolute grand slam in free agency this year. All right, we got a break. Um, Justin Cuthbert covers the Maple Leafs and the National Hockey League for Yahoo Sports. He'll join us straight ahead, uh, tee up this Leafs and Senators game, talk some Jack Campbell as well. We'll do that next. Uh, keep those hangover cures rolling in at 590-590. Name and location, please. What is your go-to hangover? That's Matt. I'm George. Sportsnet today, Sportsnet 590, the fan. Sportsnet 590. <laughs> Sportsnet today, Sportsnet 590, the fan, George Russick, Matt Marchese, here till noon. Top of the next hour, Ian Mendez, senior writer for The Athletic. Things are good in Ottawa right now. Big win against the Maple Leafs on Thursday. Resigning Brady Kachuk. Hey, Matt, how come Brady Kachuk signs an eight-year deal and the Leafs can't get Marner and Matthews to sign an eight-year deal? Uh, good question, George. Um, I wish I, I wish I had the answer, but I do not like there's, there's no, there's no rhyme or reason for why that couldn't get done. Um, it, it may make that Mitch Marner contract look better. Who knows? It may not because maybe there's a situation where, you know, people, you know, aren't enamored with, they already aren't enamored with Mitch Marner, but maybe they're even more, um, unenamored if that's even a word with Mitch Marner and maybe they're happy that the deal wasn't an eight year deal. Maybe, maybe there's a world in which that is something that becomes true. Well, it's every time a contract is signed, Mitch Marner is trending on the vomitorium. That is um, social media. It, that, that's, that's just what it is. Just constantly always trends. But uh, with all due respect, a guy who finishes in the top five scoring, guess what he's going to make a, a year in the NHL, Matt, a lot of money. It's just the way it is. Correct. Yeah. Um, sorry. And uh, for all the Mitch Marner haters out there, uh, he's going to be on Team Canada too. He's locked to make Team Canada. I I have Mitch Marner on Team Canada. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. see a situation where he's not. Like, of the, of the three Maple Leaf players, and I guess an outside fourth because Jake Muzzin has been there before, even though I don't think that he's going to be on the team. I just think that there's way too much – depth on that Canadian roster um, of the three guys, Riley Marner and Tavares, Mitch Marner is the guy that is, you know, the closest thing to a lock for playing for team Canada. Yeah, I, absolutely. Uh, he is a lock to play for team Canada. Um, are, are you, are you dying to see the Leafs playing American team here because uh, they've kicked off the season against uh, the Habs, the Sens, and then the Sens again tonight, please let's have some American content in here. I mean, I mean, I'm used to it at this point, George, aren't we? Like, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm at a point now where I think I'm just happy that hockey is back. And I know that eventually one, one day this calendar year that the Toronto Maple Leafs will play an American team. Um, 
I, I'm okay with starting out against rivalry teams. Like they're, you know, even it's not, we say rivalry. It's, it's not like it's what it used to be Montreal and Toronto and, and Ottawa, Toronto is certainly not what it used to be, but you know, playing those teams that you have at least some hatred for uh, to start the season, I don't mind it. I, I'm okay with that kind of stuff. Now, if they went and play, went on a West Coast swing where they played, you know, Winnipeg, Edmonton, Calgary, and Vancouver after this, then yeah, I think I'd I'd be a, a little bit perturbed mm-hmm. by that. Well, finally, it, I, I think it is a rivalry now with the Habs more than it has been in the last, oh, I don't know, forty years because they actually played him in the playoffs. And that was the one thing I've always talked about that, yeah, it's not really a rivalry until you get things going in the playoffs. Before this series, uh, obviously the Bruins were a bigger rival. Um, the if You can even say teams like, I don't know, like Washington was a bigger. Once you play those teams in the playoffs, there's that extra jam. And yeah, there is that extra jam now that the Leafs and Habs have finally played in the playoffs. Are the Habs going to make the playoffs? I'm not sure. Uh, I, I would say no, that they're probably going to be a playoff team after getting all the way to the Stanley Cup final. But, yeah, there is that rivalry there. And it's going to be interesting how things play this way out because I think we always forget, Matt, with the Maple Leafs and and their playoff uh, aspirations that pre-pandemic in 2020, in March, they were fighting to get there. The Panthers were right there, and then the the world went to hell. uh, And then they played that qualification round and lost to the Columbus Blue Jackets. I I think this is going to be tight. I think this is going to be really tight for the Maple Leafs to make the Stanley Cup playoffs. And when you see the point totals of 106.5 for the Maple Leafs, I think that's a little too high, to be honest with you. Yeah, I'm. I thought that that number was really high as well. Did I bet on it? No, because the Leafs are a you know regular season team, of, as we've spoken about. But I'm I'm not in the same camp as you that it's going to be that tough this year for them. Like, let's not forget Ottawa. Ottawa is better, but Ottawa is still a team that is you know young and a little bit inexperienced and will get better again by the time the season ends, but they're not a playoff team. Buffalo's a tire fire, although they did beat your Habs uh, in the first game quite handily, I might add. Mm-hmm. And Detroit is still Detroit, you know, a- another team that, you know, very young, very inexperienced. I don't even really know what to make of them. So there's three teams that we can already rule out. I agree with you. I don't think that Montreal is in the conversation to get into the playoffs. Well, I guess you didn't really say that, but you didn't think that they were going to be there. I I don't think Montreal is a playoff team. So now it's the Leafs having to go up against Tampa Bay, Florida, and Boston. And we talked about it earlier. I think that I think that the the Leafs, you know, especially their goaltending, if healthy, I will put that in there. If healthy, I think that the Leafs are better. So I, I think that the Leafs slot, even if they're not better than Boston, they slot into the top four. And that Metropolitan Division, they're just gonna kick the crap out of each other. Um and there's going to be a lot of nights where, you know, teams that, you know, you think could win won't win because it's just so tough in that division. Uh, I agree with you. It's uh, that that is a, a tough, tough division. Um, Justin Cuthbert covers the Maple Leafs and the National Hockey League for Yahoo Sports. And he joins us. Justin, how are you? Uh, pretty good, guys. How about yourselves? Uh, we're great. We were talking about the Charlie McAvoy contract and what that ultimately will mean for Morgan Riley. Uh, when I see numbers like nine and a half million AAV for Charlie McAvoy, right away I think, how the hell are the Leafs going to keep Morgan Riley, Justin? Yeah, I mean, I think it sort of affirms what we already knew, and that it's going to be really, really difficult, if not impossible, for Morgan Riley to be back next season with the Maple Leafs. And I think his, you know, 
introductory press conference or reintroductory press press conference at marketing day, you know, sort of pointed to that and all these deals certainly do as well. I mean, I, I feel like he believes it's the last ride. I feel like the Leafs have sort of prepared like it's the last ride. And the fact that the market has gone the way it is only, you know, shuts down any glimmer of hope because the money is going to be out there for him. And as we know with the Maple Leafs, as we beat to death constantly, uh, the money just isn't available unless they're willing to make a really drastic move. And I don't know if you make that drastic move to overpay a player like Morgan Riley, not to say that he isn't valuable, not to say that he isn't immensely valuable to the Maple Leafs and they won't you know, suffer if they do in fact lose him. But I mean, you've overpaid on a lot of players and you're going to be overpaying on Morgan Riley, whoever goes out there and signs him. So, you know, they've reached the stage of this program where they have to say goodbye to players because they just don't have room. And I think Morgan Riley sort of shuffles into that category as unfortunate as it is. So where does Rasmus Sandin kind of slot into this conversation? Because, you know, I, we all, we all know that there are high expectations for him. And, and so far he's, I think he's been pretty good in the first two games. Um, do you see them trying to expand his role a little bit to kind of prepare him for what looks to be the inevitable? And if he doesn't take that next step in his development, does that change the conversation regarding Morgan Riley and possibly staying with the Leafs because they need to make another move to keep him here? Yeah, I'm not sure how much you, you try to you know take him out of his current role because I think he still has to prove that he can do what he's doing now, which is providing third pairing minutes and being a rock on that left side and probably playing, you know, 40% of the power play minutes. Maybe he could get into a penalty killing role a little bit. I think that's probably going to be important moving forward because he's going to mean so much to the Maple Leafs. Uh, but this is sort of the crawl before you walk situation because he hasn't really proven himself at the NHL level yet. I think he's got to get through a full regular season where he's taking those sheltered minutes and turning in them into, okay, we're just, you know, we're, we're treading water here to I'm being a huge dis- difference maker in these mismatches because I'm the best player on the ice at current moment. We certainly haven't arrived at that point. And for him to take over for Morgan Riley one day, which is, you know, I think the succession plan is there. Uh, you got to pass that first hurdle. And I, I'm not sure he's done that yet. Obviously his development has been a little bit stunted by the fact that we've had two shortened seasons. We've had, you know, the Toronto Marlies haven't been in their regular cadence. Uh, there's been a lot of things that have sort of been in his way, but a lot of, uh, you know, advantages he's had too, because the Maple Leafs are in the situation he's in, he's been, or they're in, he's been sort of fast forward through the program a little bit. So I think they need to stabilize them. They've used that word before. They got to stabilize him in that third pairing and see where he can grow because he's going to need to be a first or second pairing defenseman for this team in the coming seasons. Justin, what's going to be more of an issue or more of an emphasis uh, of concern here for the Maple Leafs? Their bottom six forwards or maybe their goaltending with the injury to Peter Mrazek? Uh, I would say their goaltending even probably before the injury. I mean, it's, it's, the injury is, is almost painfully ironic if you're a Leafs fan because this team is just incapable of having two reasonably talented and healthy starting goaltenders at the same time. I mean, this dates back to the Curtis McElhaney and Freddie Anderson era, what, four or five years ago, where they got into the playoffs on that remarkable save from McElhaney. That's when they had solid goaltending, and that was part of the reason why they overshot expectations that season and got into the playoffs. I mean, it just hasn't been there from Sparks to Hutchinson uh, and and now to Campbell, who was supposed to be the solution to that, 
all of a sudden he becomes the most important goaltender in the system, kicks Freddie Anderson out, and now he's got the ball, but his support in the first game of the season for him uh, is, is gone. So we don't know exactly what the injury is. We don't know what it's going to mean, but it just pl- places more pressure on Jack Campbell, who's got to carry the load. It means more Michael Hutchinson years after we thought we'd never see him again. But even before the injury, I mean, they've got two goaltenders who have not proven that they can carry the load. I mean, I think they're putting their hands together and praying with these two a little bit. Yes, I think there's a lot to like about Jack Campbell. There's a lot to like about the $1.6 million he makes, even though he's only going to make that for one more year. But he has not played a full regular two, regular 82-game season as a starter. He hasn't had that responsibility once. And he's, he's been the regular starter or the number one starter in the playoffs once. And while he played pretty well, they lost that series. And he was the second-best goaltender in that series. And that has become a major, major issue for the Leafs ever since they started being a playoff team again. And with Peter Mrazek, yeah, he's shown flashes of being a really dominant goaltender, but only for stretches. He's had the chance to be a number one goaltender, but he's not proven it yet. And the Maple Leafs made a huge investment into him. And now we're not going to see him, it looks like, for a little while. So I think the number one issue with this team is goaltending. I think the bottom six has its warts, obviously, but I think they did a decent job putting some reasonably effective players with some utility in place, and we'll see what happens. We know that this team is going to go on that top six forwards and it's goaltending. And that's why the goaltending is probably the biggest issue. So is there some criticism that maybe should be kind of heaved Kyle Dubas's way? And and I will, I will preface that by saying I am a Kyle Dubas fan. I think he's done a really good job with the roster. Um, you know, obviously there's some warts on it, but that's for another, another day. Um, is there some criticism that needs to be, you know, kind of sent his way because he did bring in another goaltender who, you know, hasn't really been the healthiest um, of, of goaltenders that may have been available. And he's coupling him with another guy who hasn't been all that healthy. And, oh, by the way, like you mentioned, Michael Hutchinson is still in the organization. So it's not as if they've, they have this plethora of goaltending depth where they can say, hey, you know what, if one of our top two guys goes down, we're comfortable with anybody that we bring up. No, I definitely agree. I think he has to, you know, I, I love it. I just love the rationale because I don't think we really know the true rationale behind this, whether it's okay. They don't necessarily believe that Jack Campbell can be the guy because you went out there and you brought in a goaltender, not at a cheap rate, pretty much a premium for a, for a, not a true one, a at $3.8 million a season. I mean, this is, you hope that you have a, a, a number one goaltender at that price. I mean, that gives you the opportunity to build around the other core pieces that make a lot of money. If you can depend on a guy making $3.8 million, but as far as we know, he's supposed to be the one B, which means if Jack Campbell meets expectations, he's got to make more than $3.8 million next season because he of course is an unrestricted free agent. So I'm not really sure why they went this route. I would love to know why. And I don't think we really do know why or won't know why until the end of the season. But, you know, I think money has been the issue with Dubas. He's given too much to certain players and he's, he's held firm when maybe he shouldn't at other, at other points. And with this goaltending, like it's a lot of money for Peter Morazic. And it's the sort of money that would indicate, well, he's got to be the guy when, everyone's looking around thinking, well, Jack Campbell's going to be the guy. So, uh, yeah, I definitely think, you know, this is something we're going to be talking about. If there's another failure, it's going to be one of the first things 
after Mitch Marner and after John Tavares and after William Nylander and, and Austin Matthews if they don't get it done because it's the one thing that you, you could certainly say is, is a questionable use of funds. Justin Cuthbert, Maple Leafs and NHL reporter for Yahoo Sports, joining us here on Sportsnet today. George and Matt, Sportsnet 590, the fan. Justin, can the Maple Leafs make the playoffs if their power play isn't in the top 10? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, it's it's not going to be as easy as everyone thinks it's going to be. Uh, may, maybe people have soured a little bit, but um, I think there's sort of that expectation that, oh no, the regular season doesn't matter because we'll be there in the playoffs. But like this is an ultra-talented division. I mean, Tampa Bay has not looked good out of the gate, but you can, uh, we expecting them to not make the playoffs. I mean, surely they're going to be there. And then Florida and Boston are going to be really, really good teams this year. We haven't seen Boston yet, but we should have the expectation that they will be right there in, in the hunt. So I think the wild card is a possibility for the Maple Leafs. And while it doesn't necessarily have to have a top 10 offense to get there, because we know if Austin Matthews is a healthy risk, uh, he's going to turn, um, you know, a regular chance into a goal, uh, you know, 40 to 50 to 60 times this year. And that is going to be a huge boost for them. But I think the power play has to be decent. And I think it will be pretty good. I mean, I think we've seen a change of philosophy. Uh, we've seen a guy like Jason Spezza all of a sudden dissecting it because they're doing things a little bit different. Mitch Marner might get a little frustrated that he's not getting his cookies as much in that bumper position because it doesn't lend itself to high scoring chances. But guess what? He's not the biggest threat on the power play in terms of stationary shooters with Nylander and Matthews uh, on each flank. You probably have to gravitate towards one and it's going to open up uh, chances for the other. And that should be a good thing for the Maple Leafs. It doesn't necessarily have to be top 10. Uh, but it should be better than that last season. And I think that's going to be a positive step forward, obviously. Uh, and the thing that, you know, maybe pushes them into the top three rather than fighting for a wild card. So you, you spoke of William Nylander. Um, he's, I, I think he's looked really good. I think he's been their most consistent forward through the first two games. Um, I, I guess what I'm getting at is I feel like we're seeing more of what we saw in the playoffs, William Nylander, than, you know, and we know he's going to have those moments where he's going to look kind of invisible. That's just who he's been throughout his career. But do you think maybe the narrative has kind of changed on William Nylander where the fan base will find a, a different whipping boy? Because he seemed to be that guy for a long time, despite the fact that he's uber talented and, you know, one of the you know most exciting players on this Leaf roster. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely agree with that. I think Mitch Marner's loss is certainly William Nylander's gain in terms of uh, whipping boy status. But I, I, don't, I, don't, I think he's playing his way out of that, if, if we're being honest. I mean, you mentioned him being one of the more impressive players. Yes, he, he definitely has been. It's been just like the playoffs, actually, where William Nylander and Jason Spencer are the only players who have really shown anything. I, I guess Kerfoot would be the other guy in that group, and he hasn't been good to start the season either. Uh, George was talking about, you know, playing playing guilty this morning. I mean, John Tavares looks like he's taken him uh, an entire week to get the motor running, and that's not a good thing, certainly for this season or the future. I mean, they need John Tavares and Mitch Murder to be better, and if William Nylander continues to outperform them two in particular, uh, all eyes are going to be on Marner and Tavares because they simply haven't been good enough while William Nylander has been clearly the most dynamic player, and I think that's becoming more the norm, and I think it's going to take a lot of heat off him and redirect it elsewhere. Uh, one more for me, Justin. And and we, you know, we talked about the power play and, and let's just kind of look at the overarching offense. Um, hasn't, you know, they, they got a lot of shots. 
against Ottawa and, and, and they look pretty decent, but can we really make an assessment of what this team is offensively with Austin Matthews, not in the lineup? Because, you know, you mentioned Kerfoot being, you know, in a different spot, like everybody will slot in to their proper positions once Austin Matthews is back and healthy. So is it, is it, you know, can we really kind of make an assessment on this team offensively just yet? No, probably not. I mean, this is this is uh, other than McDavid and perhaps Drysital, uh, probably the best offensive player in the league, and Matthews who's not around. And surely there has to be a little bit of concern about you know his his primary weapon being his shot being compromised a little bit by this wrist injury, and you know he was able to play through it last year in some pain, I am assuming. But now we're talking about surgical intervention and a different you know feel and, and structure to his wrist, and I think that's got to be somewhat of a concern. But I do think that Austin Matthews is going to come back and be exactly who we thought and we expect him to be, which is a dominant, dominant goal scorer. And any team that loses a goal scorer of his caliber is going to be affected in some way. But you'd like to think when you're paying two other players at or near $11 million and another $6.9 million, and he's, again, William Nylander seems to have done his job in at least the first two games. But you'd think you wouldn't have that big of an issue. You'd think your power play would not have to lean on Jason Spezza to provide it that punch. Uh, it just hasn't been good enough for those guys. And if they're just waiting and waiting around for Austin Matthews to get back so that Mitch Marner can play with him again and John Tavares can play with William Nylander, well, I mean, that's just inexcusable. I mean, this team should be better than that. It should not be relying on that. It should not need Austin Matthews in the lineup to look good. Uh, certainly against an Ottawa team and against a Montreal team. They haven't been good enough to start, and it looks like a team that's waiting around for its best player to come back, which is a little disappointing if you're a Leaf fan to start this season, in my opinion. Uh, Justin, before I let you go, um, we had a little bit of fun at the beginning of the show talking about hang- hangover cures. Do you have a specific hangover cure that works for you? Uh, coconut water. I-, I-, I was listening a little bit to start. I uh, did not hear that. That is clearly the best hangover cure if you can wolf down about a liter of coconut water before you go to sleep uh you'll at least be you'll have a fighting chance in the morning now uh, my chances have really diminished over the years here uh but coconut water is really my only hope okay i like that uh justin cuthbert uh maple leafs and nhl reporter for yahoo sports Uh, that's some sound advice thanks for this pal enjoy the game tonight appreciate it guys you too coconut water i like it uh keep your hangover cures coming in at 590 590 Name and location. Don't forget, the Maple Leafs play the Ottawa Senators for the second straight game tonight at Scotiabank at 7. Brent Gunning, Gord Stelic have pregame at 6.30. Leafs Nation postgame as well. Straight ahead, uh, we'll talk to Ian Mendez, senior writer for The Athletic, tee up the Senators side of things. And it must be tough for people in Ottawa to, to give ownership credit for re-signing Brady Kachuk to that big deal because that must be tough for them going, oh, good contract, but God, Eugene Melnick, uh must be tough for people in Ottawa. We'll do that and talk some football with Brendan Deeg, writer for the National Football Post. That's Matt. I'm George. It's Sportsnet today. Sportsnet 590, the fan. We are merely the vessel that gets you every single piece of sports information possible. This is Sportsnet today on Sportsnet 590, the fan. What if I say goodbye? Leave it all. One hour down, two to go. Sportsnet today. George Russick, Matt Marchese here. About 30 minutes. Brendan Deeg, 
writer, National Football Post. Seattle Seahawks are going with Geno Smith on Sunday Night Football because Russell Wilson's out for a long time. The Cardinals won't have their head coach on the sideline in Cleveland. And apparently the NFL found no other emails. Just John Gruden's the only one. Right. In very investigations. Feels very, very um, truthful by the NFL here. Just very, very believable that that's the only bad emails they found. Of course, because the NFL yeah. controls everything and they found their scapegoat yep. and went, oh, okay, I'm sure the rest of the world will believe us when we say that nothing else was found. Hmm. Sure. Interesting. Um, before we get to Ian Mendez, um, watching some Bundesliga right now on, on the television, uh, Dortmund and Mainz. Do you remember um, when they were the first league to come back and everybody was all about the Bundesliga and now it's not on your timeline anymore, Matt? I, I can't say that it was ever on my timeline, George. Uh, I am <laughs> but a soccer everybody talked fan. About, oh, I, I can't wait to watch Wolfsburg and, uh, I don't know, Schalke. Union Berlin play today. <laughs> it's going to be a good match. Yeah, no, that that never came into the equation for me. Although I did, I did place a wager on uh, a three leg parlay that included two uh, Bundesliga games this morning. I am not watching. Okay, I like that. Uh, putting a bet in, not even watching it, just hoping it comes in. That's awesome. Uh, you know what else is awesome? Uh, hangover cures. Uh, need one this morning. What's yours? Five ninety five ninety. Name and location, please. We'll read some more text throughout the program. But right now, joining us on the line, senior writer for the Athletic, Ian Mendez. Ian, how are you? Hey, guys, doing great. And I just totally had a Bundesliga flashback because absolutely, like, who could forget yeah, last summer, right? It came back and I was like, oh, my gosh, live sports, I'm in. 100%. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, and nobody's in anymore on the Bundesliga here. This, uh, everybody's out <laughs> yeah, now exactly. on the Bundesliga, Ian. Nobody cares. Yeah. Everyone's cashed out their chips. They're all out on the Bundesliga. Uh, uh, I have to ask you because the first thing I thought of when I saw the Brady Kachuk extension, I, I like it. Uh, the amount of years that he's decided to stay in Ottawa now, I think that's a big sigh of relief for the fans. Uh, and, and it's a message to his fellow players that I'm going to be here long term and let's build something. How tough is it for fans in Ottawa to give Eugene Melnick and ownership credit on this one? Yeah, and you know what? And, and, and listen, like Eugene Melnick has, has taken a lot of heat in this market for – uh, you know, a couple of things, but I think at the top of the list, uh, the inability to retain star players has been issue number one, right? Like, I think if you talk to the average Ottawa fan, they would say, I just wish we could hold on to our stars. So now you've got Brady Kachuk and Thomas Shabbat and Drake Batherson signed up for uh, all of them for at least six years, Shabbat and Kachuk for seven. And it's like, you, what are you going to say now, right? Like, so look important like anybody who's followed my coverage i think you know that i'm yeah i'm pretty down the middle and pretty fair i like to levy criticism when it's warranted and i think i like to uh, hand out praise when it's warranted and i think some praise needs to be handed out here and this is a a much maligned franchise that has watched so many star players walk out the door um you got to give it to them here like they, they deserve nothing but credit because they got this done it wasn't a bridge deal it wasn't like, listen, and I hear some people saying it's a touch high 8.2 for Brady Kachuk. Like, to me, it's like, whatever. Like, maybe you overpaid him by a little bit, but I don't think you overpaid him by a ton. Uh, he's a, he's a fir legitimate first-line player in this league, and you locked him up for seven years. Like, it's, it's honestly, it's a win-win scenario for the players, 
uh, and, and for the team, but I think most importantly for this fan base. So, yeah, I think um, it might be uh, grudgingly uh, done so by some people, but, boy, you really got to hand it to uh, Eugene Malnick and Pierre Dorian for, for getting this deal done. Ian, uh, so now the, the conversation kind of shifts to, okay, when Brady Kachuk makes his debut, will he have a C on his jersey? Because, you know, everybody thought it was probably going to be Thomas Shabbat, and then, you know, he signs the extension, so it's like, oh, my God, Thomas Shabbat's definitely going to be the captain. But the fact that they haven't named him the captain as of yet, does that not make you think that Brady Kachuk, especially after signing a seven-year deal, and maybe the conversation changed if it was a bridge deal, but with the seven-year deal, he's he's got to be the next captain of this club, doesn't he? Yeah, and I, again, like if there was some sort of betting line, and I'm sure there, there probably is, or, you know, lay down some money on who's going to be the captain of the Ottawa Senators. Like if I was to put it on a percentage, uh, you know, give me give me the odds of where I think it's going to end up. I'd say I'm about 70, 75% sure it'll be Brady Kachuk. And, and I'll leave a fair amount of room for Thomas Shabbat only because, uh, A, he's so well-spoken, he's so smooth, he's so mature, and he's bilingual. And, and I do think that that's a, a really important factor uh, in, in a market like Ottawa where there is a, a heavy uh, francophone influence. I, I think they should consider it. But at the end of the day, I think if you were to look at who is the true kind of heartbeat and pulse of this team, I think it would be number seven. So I think the reason why you haven't seen uh, anything in terms of the captaincy, in fact, so here's the deal, by the way, he's, he's going to skate this morning at, uh, at uh, Scotiabank Arena there in Toronto, uh, but it's going to be one of those kind of really tough skates for him. Uh, for Kachuk, I mean, and he's not going to play tonight. That's the plan anyway. He's not going to play tonight. He might play tomorrow. But, guys, I do not believe he's just going to come out with a captain's C on his jersey. I don't think so. Uh, you know, DJ Smith talked about this a, a little bit earlier in training camp and said, uh, you know, at some point we're going to name a captain, and I think we're going to do that when we're kind of ready to move into that next phase of, you know, we're ready to win. And we're. And I just don't know that they're there yet. But if I, if I had to guess, I wouldn't be shocked if at some point this season – they they did name Brady Kachuk the captain, but I think they'd want to have a little bit of, you know, maybe a little pomp and circumstance around it. Like, I, I don't know that you want to very subtly have him roll out and he's just wearing the C and you're like, hey, wait a minute, Brady Kachuk the captain. I think you want to, maybe you want to do a press conference. You want to do something a little splashier. So that, that would be my guess, but I, I don't think it'll happen as early as Sunday. Like turn off the lights at the arena, and then he skates out with all these lasers in, and all of a sudden he's wearing a C, and everybody is just electric at home. The, you think something that's like that's the Vince that? McMahon school of thinking? Come yeah, on, guys! I think that'd be cool. That's hey, great. They, it, I, listen, and I'm not I'm not a wrestling guy at all, but they did play uh, uh, Stone Cold's music the other night when they kind of brought Brady out in front of the the crowd, uh, cool. and, and there was a, a lot of people who thought like, hey, maybe he'll he'll put on a captain's uh, jersey there. Like, I mean, that would have been a fun way to do it but i i do think that there there is a little bit of wiggle room to do something uh creative here it just reminds me of all of a sudden the roger clemens uh thing when susan yeah. Waldman lost her mind when yeah. he just stood up and waved that he was coming back oh my god yeah. roger clemens it's like the same thing yeah. with Brady kachuk oh my god he's roger the captain clemens. now yeah it's unbelievable of uh, the Ottawa yeah. He's in George's box. He's yeah. in George's box. Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah, great. And when she said it was like the greatest moment in Yankees history, I think there was a little couple bigger moments. Um, yeah. Ian, when it comes to Thomas Shabbat, he was a guy that, uh, especially uh, when maybe 
not last year, but before that, we were thinking in 2022, this guy's probably going to be on Canada's blue line at the Olympics. Has he talked about potentially uh, being a spot on that team? Because obviously he has an outside shot of being on this team. Yeah, in fact, he, he got asked about it by, ironically enough, by a uh, Toronto Star reporter. Kevin McGrand was up uh, to cover the home opener, and Thomas came out, and, and Kev, uh, Kevin asked him about, uh, you know, is that on your radar? And of course, you know, I think any player who's even in that conversation is obviously thinking about it, but it, it's going to be interesting, right? Because, uh, you know, obviously Alex Petrangelo is a lock there, and you, Kale McCarr is a lock there, and you know, there's a whole bunch of guys that you would look at and you're like, yeah, that guy's a lock, that guy's a lock. So I think for Thomas Shabbat to be in that conversation around, you know, Christmas time or whenever they're going to make that, that, that final determination in, in and around maybe Boxing Day or New Year's Day, um, he's got to come out and he's got to have a stellar start to the season. And he can't be um, – and I, I, I'm a huge fan of using plus minus. I think it is a little bit of a kind of an archaic stat. But I, I do believe in it when there's extremes. And, and unfortunately for Thomas Shabbat, uh, and this is probably more of a function of kind of just dysfunctional play in their own zone by everybody, not just a, a Thomas Shabbat problem, but he's like a minus 59 in his four seasons in the NHL. And that's one of the five worst marks of any defenseman in the league. So if he can help kind of you know stabilize things defensively and be a legitimate point-producing guy on the power play, I absolutely think there's room. Like, I think the biggest problem for Thomas Shabbat is I just don't feel like he's been surrounded by world-class talent. And, and it's coming. Like, and then obviously up front, and I think maybe with Jake Sanderson coming. Like, at some point, 18 to 24 months from now, I think we're going to get a really good idea of what Thomas Shabbat can be when he's playing with really good players. But that hasn't been the case so far. And, and I think I would be really genuinely curious to see him play alongside uh, some really elite guys on the back end, you know, the McCars, I think Dowdy is probably still in that conversation. Like I said, Petrangelo, like there's some really good defensemen and we've never really seen Thomas Shabbat play with, with those types of, of players. So he's going to start the season. If you saw, if you watched the game on Thursday night against Toronto, um, he played with Artem Zub, who is a really kind of sneaky, good underrated defensive defenseman. I think if that pairing can stay together, I think Shabbat's got an opportunity to maybe, you know, maybe be a 50 point guy this season, 60 point guy, and maybe get that plus minus up closer to even and, and be a little bit better in, in all situations. Ian, you mentioned uh, Thomas Shabbat. Uh, firstly, uh, Thomas Shabbat as a skater on big ice is something that just, it, that is really intriguing to me, especially on that Canadian blue line. But um, you mentioned his, his numbers, you know, especially his plus minus and how much, and, and how much of that goes to the, the goaltending issue that may be in Ottawa right now like Matt Murray really fought the puck last season uh we saw some good things from from Anton Forsberg on the weekend I I still think that that Philip Gustafson is going to be a solid NHL goaltender like how do you kind of handicap this um this Ottawa goaltending situation and and could that be the difference from them being you know kind of a bottom feeder in the Atlantic to a team that potentially challenges for a playoff spot yeah, and you know what? I, I think we spend, and, and you guys certainly probably do it as uh, as talk show hosts, and I, I certainly did it when I was in, in radio, and, and I, I think I do it now as, as a writer with The Athletic. We spend so much time looking at line combos, power plays, and puck possession, and underlying stats, and sometimes it just comes down to goaltending, right? And that's a really boring answer that, like, man, kind of, and I think every year, if you look at it almost without fail, if you look at uh 
if you sort the teams one through, well, I guess one through 32 now, and you sort them by team save percentage, almost inevitably the top 16 end up being your playoff teams and the bottom 16 uh, will end up being your non-playoff teams. And, and, you know, give or take a couple of teams here or there that happen to be outliers, but that's really what it uh, comes down to. And Ottawa was atrocious last year for the first 10, 12 weeks of the season. Like they were getting, like this was goal time. Like they were getting like an 880 save percentage. I'm like, this wouldn't even be good in the 1980s, like let alone the year 2021. Like they were getting bad, like AHL level goaltending, and that just wasn't right. And and they had a lot of nights where they got submarined 10, 15 minutes into the game. You're down by two goals, three goals. Like you're not going to come back and win. And then at the end of the year, uh, and and by the way, Matt Murray was really good at the end of the year. He just couldn't stay healthy. But his last five or six starts were great. Philip Gustafson was dynamite. Anton Forsberg was really good. And all of a sudden, this team went like 9-2-1 and one down the stretch. And you're like, man, what would, it, what would it have been like if they had competent goaltending? So as you look at it now, what I think is really interesting is, and, and certainly you saw it if you were a Leafs fan uh, that, that watched the game on, on Thursday night, uh, Toronto was probably the better team there for the most part in that game. But Anton Forsberg made 46 saves. And so Ottawa, I think this is the lesson I, I think I'm going to learn from DJ Smith is last year, I think he, he, he kind of bounced around goaltenders a little bit. And I think this time around, I don't think he cares who's giving him good goaltending. He's just going to ride the hot hand. So you'll see Anton Forsberg today. Now, Matt Murray's on the IR because of a, uh, an illness. But basically, I think, like, I think, let me put it this way. If Matt Murray was healthy and ready to go tonight, I still think you would have seen Anton Forsberg. He was that good on opening night. So I think they're just going to run the hot hand. If In an ideal world, that hot hand is Matt Murray. And I think they'll give him a chance to kind of uh, make sure he gets his chance to, to assume and, and hold on to the number one job. But I don't think there's going to be as, any hesitation. There's going to be a short, short leash from DJ Smith on his goaltending this year. Ian Mendez, senior writer for The Athletic, joining us here on Sportsnet today. George and Matt, Sportsnet, 590 The Fan. Um, Ian, how much hand-wringing goes on with Ottawa Senators fans about the development of Eric Brandstrom? Uh, A lot, actually. And it's, you know, I feel really bad for the kid because he's a really likable guy. And and I think part of the issue for Eric is he came in here and you kind of got traded for Mark Stone. Like, it's not your fault that you got traded for Mark Stone, but you're the main piece that got you know, came back this way in, in return for, you know, a guy that was kind of like a iconic player in franchise history for, for four or five years in Mark Stone. And he was super popular and it's, it's kind of an unfair battle. And, and I always think about, I feel really bad for, uh, you know, if, if you read between the lines of Adam Larson, you know, eventually needing to leave Edmonton, all of it for Larson was like, you know, it, it always came back for, it was one for one, right. It was Taylor Hall for Adam Larson. It was like, these are unrealistic expectations. And I think there's some, some pretty lofty expectations on Branstrom, but at the same time, I think the fan base is ready to see him. He's a, he's your classic modern defenseman. He's not really big, but boy, is he mobile. And I think he can anchor your second year power play. And I actually thought he had a really nice uh, training camp. So the, the funny thing is like, there are, there are sky high expectations on him, but I do think the fans want to see him succeed. And, and, and I think the, the, the issue here is, is there a philosophical difference in the coaching staff and Eric Branstrom? And, and Branstrom, like I said, he's a modern guy. So he's not your traditional kind of, I'm going to push you out of the front of the next uh, net, box you out, play really well below the face-off dot. I'm more of a, I'm going to get the puck. I'm going to get it in transition. I'm going to be really good. I think they just want to see him be a little bit better in his own zone. And I, I think most Ottawa fans just wish that they 
started the season with him. Unfortunately, he's in the AHL, but he is certainly a he's a polarizing player with the fan base. And I think a, most fans want to see him do well. It's just I don't know how this is going to work out because they got Thomas Shabbat on the left side. They got Jake Sanderson coming on the left side. He's a, a top five pick. And those are going to be the top two spots for the foreseeable future. I've always wondered how much room is there for Eric Brandstrom to have an impact here. But I think he does have a few months to, to hopefully get uh, get a shot to uh, to secure a spot here in Ottawa. Ian, we talked about the uh, Brady Kachuk deal at the beginning of the segment. And and there's gonna there's some other guys that are going to be um, – looking for some some cake at the end of this season. So, you know, Nick Paul's an unrestricted free agent. Josh Norris and Alex Formanton up front, RFAs, and Victor Mete on the back end. The guy that obviously stands out among that group for me is Josh Norris. And, you know, we've seen the development under DJ Smith. I thought he was really good last season. Um, what kind of number is Josh Norris going to be looking for? Because, you know, we talked about giving Eugene Melnick and this organization credit for getting the Brady Kachuk deal done, and they have gotten others. Drake Batherson got his deal as well. Um, where does Josh Norris kind of fit into this conversation? Yeah, and it's a really good question because I, I know Ottawa fans don't want to hear like, okay, well, now you got Brady done. What's next, right? Because it's, hey, like, okay, can we just have 24 hours to enjoy the uh, the Kachuk thing without worrying about the next uh, contract? But, it, you know, boy, Josh Norris really took a step forward. Not even like a step forward, guys. He took a quantum leap last year. Like, at the start of the year, we were wondering, uh, maybe, yeah, I think this guy could be a number two centerman in the NHL. Like, that's the projection. I'm telling you. He's a lock-it-in, for this franchise anyway, he's a lock-it-in number one guy. Now, is he going to be number one in the sense of an Austin Matthews or a McDavid or Crosby or McKinnon? No, he's not going to be that. But I think he can certainly be a really good, uh, you know, think of like the Mark Shifley and, and, and those types of guys. And as you're starting to look at comparables, I think you can't help but look at the deal that Nick Suzuki just signed in Montreal. Like, I think at the end of this year, if Josh Norris can produce at the same rate as Nick Suzuki has kind of produced uh, and, and Josh is kind of one year behind uh, Nick Suzuki in terms of development, uh, you know, roughly he's played uh, about a season last or, or somewhere in that neighborhood. But if he can be like a 55, 60 point guy this season, I think I, if I'm the Norris camp, I would absolutely use that as my comparable. And, and, you know, Nick ended up getting, and, and I apologize, the cap hit is around 7.8. Is that right on Nick Suzuki on a, on that long-term yep. deal? I, I, yeah, I think that if you're Josh Norris, you would say, okay, like I am a major part of this team. I've proven myself now over the course of another full regular season, but there's also the argument to be made. If you're Ottawa, do you try and jump in now? and get him for a number less than that. And, but I don't know, maybe the, the Norris camp is going to say, like, let's play it out, and maybe we'll even be better than Suzuki. I don't know. But he has really, really elevated his play. And he is, like, like I said, he was a guy that I thought he would be a number two, number three center when they traded for him from San Jose. And he is, without question, this organization's number one centerman for the foreseeable future. Ian, where are we at, uh, excuse my ignorance, and I think maybe some of our listeners would know, where are we at with that talk of the Senators getting a new downtown arena? Yeah, and you know what? It, it, it's a really fair question. It's a good question. It's one that often comes up with, uh, you know, if I do radio hits across the country because people are like, oh, yeah, the Senators. Remember that story? Yeah. yeah. What happened to that? that? Yeah. So uh, as uh, as people would love uh, to know that this is, this is Ottawa, so what is it? It's 
caught up in a whole bunch of red tape, which is, uh, you know, kind of indicative of uh, sometimes what we deal with in a, in a government town. But essentially, here's what happened was in, and now my timeline's thrown off. So if it wasn't, if it wasn't 2018, it was 2019, like somewhere in the fall of 2018 into early 2019, the arena project in the downtown area basically fell apart. So we got this really cool parcel of land just to the west of Parliament Hill. So for the listeners who don't know, think about Parliament Hill in your mind's eye and then, you know, walk like 800 meters uh, to the west. And there's this huge parcel of land. There's a train station uh, that's right there. It's sitting right there. But the deal fell apart because basically uh, Eugene Malnick and, and the developers there couldn't quite agree on the terms of it. And then where things got super messy, guys, is now it's become litigious. So Melnick sued his partners for 700, I think it was 700 million, 750. They countersued for a billion. And now we're like 10 months away from that, seeing the light of day, I believe, in, in, in the courtroom setting. So everything is on hold. But here's the catch. The, 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 the area is still being developed. But the city and, and the, the, the commission that's in charge of the land is still holding that little parcel of land for a future event center. And I think they're doing that with the, with the hope that at some point this is going to get figured out. Because we're not ever going to get a better spot for an arena if you want it downtown in Ottawa than that. So it's in a holding pattern. It's tied up in some legalities. I don't know where it's headed, but I do think that uh, there's a possibility that exists that it could happen. But we're still, boy, I think we'd be lucky if five years from now uh, we're watching hockey downtown in Ottawa. I need to get myself into a position where I can sue someone for $700 million. Like, I mean, it would make life a lot easier. Um, but anyway, I digress. That, that is that is Eugene's baby over there. Um, just one more before we let you go here, Ian. Uh, just kind of general look at this team. Like, what are the expectations for the Ottawa Senators this year? Because, you know, you mentioned that run they went on at the end of the year, and they were not an easy out to begin with last season, you know, especially, you know, from the halfway point on. Um, are there are there playoff hopes for this team in in the city of Ottawa? Is it just hey, let's just get these young guys uh, developing at the rate that they're going at, and then we'll look to next year? Like, how does a fan base kind of look at this season? Yeah, and, and as you guys know, like it, it's really hard sometimes to get a consensus from a fan base, right? Like, it's not like everybody is is uh, you know checking the same box. But if I had to try and you know gauge it from this uh, from this fan base. And by the way, this is a super patient, super intelligent fan base. Like, like I know Ottawa fans take a lot of heat from, 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 from people around the country when they see empty seats. Like, just please understand how smart these people are. Like, this is a really smart, savvy fan base. So they've spent four years watching this team finish at the bottom of the standing, and they watched at the end of the year, and the arrow is trending up. And I think if you ask the average Ottawa Senators fan, what do you want? I think you just want that arrow to stay trending up. And it doesn't have to culminate in a playoff spot. It just has to culminate in, can we just not be low-hanging fruit for everybody? Can we just not be a laughing stock? And I, and I do think that they've taken a step out of that. And um, I, I think the realistic expectation for this team would be, can they just kind of carry over what they did last year? And I, I don't think you know, going 9-2-1 and one is uh, sustainable over the course of an 82-game season. But I, I do think it's sustainable for them to maybe be in the 85 to 90 point range and and maybe when you get to the trade deadline maybe just don't be like this you're a bottom five bottom seven team and it's for sure you're just blowing it up and being a seller like maybe you're hanging around the, the playoff spot and I, and I think what you want to is and I think you uh, Toronto fans would agree 
like the way Ottawa ended the season last year, if you were a Leafs fan, you you probably didn't want to see Ottawa in the first round of the playoffs. And then, and I'm and I, I understand how it all played out for Toronto, but I'm just saying, like that that's kind of the the, the feeling Ottawa fans are are going with right now. Like, hey, we're kind of playing with some house money. We got the super fun team, and I don't think you want to see us in the playoffs. If if because if we made the playoffs, that means a whole bunch of things went well. And we're just playing with house money, and we don't really have any expectations. So it's it might be the last year that this team goes into a season without any external pressure from the fans or like people like myself or the media that are saying you better make the playoffs. But September 2022, if I'm sitting in this seat, I'm absolutely saying you you darn well better make the playoffs next year. Ian Mendez, senior writer for the Athletic. Ian, great stuff. Thanks for this today. Enjoy the game tonight. Yeah, you betcha, guys. Have a great weekend. Um. I'll sue you for $700 million. Oh, I'll sue you for a billion dollars. Why not? Uh, the world in which we almost wish we lived in, George. <laughs> you think Eugene Melnick has a billion dollars lying around? I do not. Yeah. What's the old saying in the NHL? Uh, if you want to go from a billionaire to a millionaire, buy an NHL team? Yeah, pretty pretty much. Like that I don't is think the that's the sport. case anymore. No, no, because you can sell them for so much more now, right? Like, look at, you know, I mean, except for the Arizona Coyotes, but everybody else has a pretty good valuation last time I checked. Oh, yeah. Pro sports teams are just exploding. Uh, The MLS is the always one where I always raise an eyebrow to to tell me, oh, really? That team's worth $300 million? Are you sure about that? Uh, The MLS is the one that I I just can't believe. Uh, You know what I do believe is uh, great stuff that – our listeners are texting into 590-590. Hangover cures, please. 590-590, what's yours? What do you do? Um, John from Oshawa, um, Matt, best hangover cure is greasy KFC chicken and gravy and your wife leaving you alone. That's probably a good That's probably a good start, George. I mean, yeah, I, I, it makes sense. Um, I did, so I remember one, this was a preventative measure that uh, people that I know used to do, they used to take a shot or two of olive oil to coat their stomach. Really? Yep. I don't know if it works, um, but they did it. (laughs) That doesn't sound like it works. Uh, Derek Brandeo says it doesn't work. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think so either. That sounds sounds a little too uh, urban myth to me. Um, Andrea from London, the best hangover cure, cherry Kool-Aid and craft dinner. No. Craft dinner, fine. Cherry Kool-Aid, not for me. How do you not like cherry Kool-Aid, though? I've just never really been like a Kool-Aid. I guess it's okay, but I, I feel like at that point, I'm just gonna get, um, I'm just gonna get a Gatorade. I, I think that's where I'm going with it. Just get a Gatorade. Um, a literal bag of uh, McDonald's hash browns from Braden in Rice Lake. How many? How many? How many, how many hash, hash browns, browns are is in that, Braden? <laughs> Can I get? Ten, you go up to the McDonald's drive-through. Can I get ten hash browns, please? Okay. Can I get? Can I get one thousand hash browns? Put them in the bag and off Jam them I in go. There. And they, I need, they are really greasy and very good, though. I will say yeah, that. That'll that'll really uh, soak up some stuff. Uh, Tim and Chatsworth uh, beer and tomato juice. I just red eye. Can't do it. Red Eye. Uh, you want a, a real quick story on Red Eye before we talk NFL? Sure. Why not? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, my dad's uh, <laughs> my dad's cousin, uh, who's no longer with us, um, 
sat down. Uh, we were at a family event, and this was years ago, man. And I mean years ago. And uh, his name was Joe. And he goes to us. He goes, uh, boys, uh, you ever if you if you don't want to get caught by the police before you drive home, make oh, sure you God. drink some red eyes, beer, and tomato juice. Right? <laughs> really, re- re- really clean you out before you get behind the wheel. We're like, okay, Joe, I'm not going to do that. Literally two weeks later, he gets pinched for a DUI. No, well, it's obviously. He obviously like, didn't. Uh, he obviously didn't drink his beer and tomato juice. Clearly, no, he didn't. And we laughed about that for years. Like, oh, drink your red eye, drink your red eye. No, nope, uh, it's done. Uh, he got uh, absolutely um, pulled over for DUI. Um, big news from um, Luke Fox. Apparently, um, Alex Bishop, University of Toronto, signed a one-game amateur tryout and will back up Jack Campbell tonight in Toronto. In order to make a recall, the Maple Leafs must sort out a position in case goalie for one game and in the salary cap world, folks. So the Maple Leafs have a University of Toronto goaltender to back up Jack Hamilton and Alex Bishop. What okay, could go question. wrong? Yeah, I mean, well, it could be the it could be the reverse airs, right? Like he, yeah. come, Alex Bishop has to come in and he just shuts the door. I mean, I, this is no dis- disrespect to David Ayers and and maybe well maybe there is a little bit of disrespect but I'm assume, I'm assuming that Alex Bishop who is you know let's let's talk in reality here uh Canadian University hockey is very good yeah. and he had to play at a high level to get there so my guess is that Alex Bishop is a better goaltender than David Ayers so I I think they'll be better suited but let's hope that it doesn't get to that point how exciting for the kid right how awesome is that? Yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty amazing. I yeah. mean, there's even if he never plays a game in the NHL or whatever, he's on the bench for a game. Like I dressed in uniform. Imagine, yeah, like what that experience is like for the guy. Like, yes, good, good for him. Um, bad for the Leafs that uh, the Peter Mrazek is going to miss and they can't fit anybody <laughs> else in under the cap. Yeah, it's just. It, it's the story that just keeps writing itself, <laughs> yeah. George. It really and it's great is. That, and they have the and they hired the guy who helped write the salary cap, and they still can't find a way around it. Yeah, that is the because he wrote the it so good here. Yeah, yeah. The, the irony is is yeah. so so unbelievable. That's that's awesome. Alex Bishop going to back up uh, Jack Campbell tonight. Terrific from the University of Toronto. All right, keep those hangover cures rolling into five ninety five ninety naming location. Suck on a pickle. Brendan, Brendan Deeg, writer for the <laughs> oh, National Football Post. I told you, it's it's a can't miss. Uh, Brendan Deeg, writer for the National Football Post. You're welcome, listeners. We'll join us straight ahead. Tee up week six of the National Football League. And uh, the lovely Hazel May, Blue Jays reporter covering the ALCS for Sportsnet, will join us at 11 o'clock. That's Matt. I'm George. Sportsnet today. Sportsnet 590. The Fan. Sportsnet 590. 590. The Fan. Sportsnet today, Sportsnet 590 to George Russell, Matt Marquez here at the top of the next hour. Hazel May, Blue Jays reporter covering the ALCS for Sportsnet. Astros taking game one. A 5-4 home victory against the Red Sox. Jose Altuve continues to be public enemy number one. I want to ask Hazel, too, how many people are hate-watching this series? Because I can't remember an ALCS in recent memory where people will be hate-watching so much, Matt. Oh, for sure. Although you could make the argument that when the Yankees were really good, there were probably some series like that. But yeah, these are these are two teams that are just very, very unlikable.
yeah, there's a lot of hate watching going on. I love it. And uh, later on, Jake Hahn calls to the point in the Fantasy Hockey Show on Sirius XM NHL Radio. Some Maple Leafs news breaking as well. Looks like Justin Hall will not be in the lineup tonight as well. Timothy Lilligren will take his spot and make his season debut tonight. Hall's dealing with some sort of injury. The injuries are piling up for the Maple Leafs. Just two games into the regular season as they get set to play the Senators. We'll talk about that later. Plus, we'd like to hear your hangover cures. Keep them rolling in. 590-590, name and location. But week six of the NFL season kicked off in Philadelphia as the Bucks took care of the Eagles to talk about that and to preview the rest of the slate. Brendan Deeg, writer for the National Football Post, joins us. Brendan, how are you? I'm doing well, guys. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're good. Um, I know the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, the offense looks fantastic, and Tom Brady and company looks unstoppable. When they get healthy, is that defense good enough to repeat, Brendan? Because I still think they're the class of the NFC, even though they can't stop the pass. Yeah, it's going to be all dependent on the health of their secondary. There are two top corners around right now. Richard Sherman looks like he's going to miss a few weeks, and he was signed off the streets to basically play a couple weeks ago. It, like if you if you play a high powered offense like Dallas, for instance, or if you play in the AFC like like the Chiefs or the Bills, they're they're going to run into some problems, right? Like the teams are going to be able to throw the ball against them, so they're going to have to get some help. Uh, they're going to have to get some uh, health luck back in the secondary. But that offense is absolutely rolling right now. Tom Brady, at 44 year old, continues to just amaze me. He's played the best football of his career at this age. It's unbelievable. But yeah, I put them probably in like a bucket of three or four teams at the top of the NFC. All right, I'm going to I'm going to go to your your team because I know how much angst this causes you. Um and for and for those that don't know, Brennan and I have regular conversations about this kind of stuff off the air as well. So, um Jalen Hurts, what odds are you putting on him to be the starting quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles once t- once the next season rolls around? Because there are a lot of people like if it weren't for fantasy football, I don't think people would be speaking so highly of Jalen Hurts at this point. Yeah, before the season started, I put it at about a 25 percent chance. And I- I'm going to stick with that right now. He hasn't shown he hasn't shown enough to kind of make you go over that 25 percent in the first six starts. Look, the biggest issue with him, and it always has been, is just his pocket passing. He hasn't been able to kind of be that, that stereotypical quarterback in the NFL nowadays. They need him to kind of get on the move. And the biggest issue right now with the Eagles is Nick Sirianni, the head coach, is not running an offense that is tailored to his strengths. There should be kind of grabbing like that Greg Roman Baltimore-style offense and stealing plays from there. But they're, they're just lining up hurts and just dropping them back to pass. There's no play action. There's not a lot of motion in the backfield. I don't think the Eagles head coaching staff and coaching staff in general is doing him a favor right now. He, they're kind of throwing him to the wolves. I believe he is third or second, I don't know the exact number, in yards as a player right now in the NFL. And that is just too much to ask of a, of a rookie. He's not a rookie quarterback, but he pretty much is. He's only 10 starts into his NFL career. So he is still very young. The Eagles are not a patient franchise when it comes to quarterbacks. They, they, they are obsessed with that position. So if there is any doubt in their minds before the end of the season that he might not be the guy, they're, they're, they're going to go find one. And they have three potential first-round picks, depending on if Carson Wentz plays 75% of the snaps. So automatically two first-round picks and then potentially a third. That is ammo to go and get a quarterback. I'm assuming they're going to be looking at a veteran this offseason if they, they want to go get one. I don't think they're going to go the draft road again. They just did that with Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts. I'm assuming they're going to go after a big fish. 
like a Deshaun Watson, like an Aaron Rodgers, or, um, or Russell Wilson in Seattle. So I, I think that's the right they would go. But, yeah, I, I have a hard time believing that uh, Jalen Hurts, as of right now, will be the starting quarterback for the Eagles in 2022. Uh, Brendan, we heard the news this morning that apparently the NFL has found no other current personnel that have sent emails with racist, homophobic, or misogynistic language like those written by John Gruden that led to his resignation as Las Vegas Raiders coach, apparently according to the Associated Press. Um, how tough is it to believe the NFL in this one? Because wasn't this all surrounded by or pointed towards Daniel Snyder and some of the shady dealings he's had as owner of the Washington football team? Oh, there's no doubt in my mind that there are more guys in the NFL that are sending these emails. It's just a ridiculous statement. Yeah, it, it, this whole story is a disaster. It, it, it's, um, it's a stain on the NFL. And, and, and it's funny. Like, you, you find the only guy that it, it comes out of this is John Rudin after an investigation into Dan Snyder, like you got to be kidding me. There's 650,000 emails out there, and, and they're not releasing them. It's a joke. And I think the NFL NFLPA now is trying to get involved because the, one of the emails that came, the first one that came out about the Wall Street, uh, the Wall Street Journal released, it was about the, uh, the head of the NFLPA, Edward Smith. So now he's tied into it. I think the NFLPA and the players in general are frustrated that this is happening. And I, I think this is kind of just the tip of the iceberg. It's almost like every day you're seeing a New York Times story or another Wall Street Journal story come out and releasing emails. And I, the NFL is clearly not telling the truth. Uh, my dad is a Iron Washington football fan, and I know he's uh, kind of loving this in the fact that he, he wants nothing more than Dan Snyder to, be, uh, to sell that football team. So I think Washington fans are kind of excited that potentially maybe this will lead to the sale of the of Washington football team. But – yeah, this whole story is a stain on the league, and I feel bad for the Oakland, uh, the, sorry, the Las Vegas Raiders locker room. All right, Brendan, uh, you, you spoke about Washington, and their opponent this week is the Kansas City Chiefs. So when we look at the Chiefs' season so far, um, you know they have the, they're two and three. They have the three losses, and you could you could make the argument on one hand saying, well, they lost to three really good teams. I, I think the Chargers are a team on the rise. Baltimore has proven that that there's certainly no pushover after beating the Chiefs and then the comeback win against the Colts the other night. Um, and the Bills are, uh, you know, for my money, and I'm biased, um, the class of the AFC right now because of the way their defense is playing. Um, now, could you make the argument that maybe they're just not good enough or as good as they were, especially because that defense is so bad? Like, at what point do we look at the Chiefs and go, okay, now I'm worried? I wouldn't be worried about their offense right now. I think I think it's getting overblown. The Chiefs' offense, the expectations are just so high with that unit, right? Because we've seen them just be a, a force on the offensive side of the ball, just leading, uh, being a top three or leading the league in offense efficiency or any offensive side you throw your way over the last four years under Patrick Mahomes. And their offense right now is still playing at a top five level. Uh, Patrick Holmes is, I believe, one first in QBR in the NFL. They're top five in yards per play and points per game. So this offense is still humming. I, I don't think there's going to be a too, too big a problem. So the one thing I will say is they didn't really replace Sandy Watkins. Uh, they have McCole Hardman as their third wide receiver, and he is in the bottom 10 of yards per route run, which is a stat to kind of show how efficient wide receivers are. And Sandy Watkins was always kind of in that top 30 range. So they haven't really replaced him. That could be a problem come playoff time when teams are kind of zoning in on Travis Kelsey 
and Tyree Kill. They're going to need a guy like maybe Josh Gordon steps up into that role. They're going to need some help um, outside of Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey when it comes to playoff time. But their defense, it's, wor- it's worrisome. They are kind of dead last in every analytical stat you can throw your way. They are dead last in yards per play. They are dead last in points per game. I don't, I don't, I don't know about you guys. I don't remember a, uh, a football team that's dead last in defense statistics that wins a Super Bowl. It just doesn't happen. You have to be at least mediocre nowadays in the NFL, maybe in that, like, 22 to 28 range just to like sniff a Super Bowl. If you're dead last in defense and any defensive statistic, you're going to have a tough go. So I, I believe they're going to have to get better there. And I think they will. I don't think they're going to play this bad all season. But yeah, I, I wouldn't, I called it before the season. I, I said this team was going to take a step back. It's very hard to make like four AFC championships in a row in this league. And they've made three already. So they were kind of due for maybe a step back. But yeah, I wouldn't be worried about their offense, but definitely would be worried about their defense. Brennan Deeg, writer for the National Football Post, joining us here at Sportsnet today. George and Matt, Sportsnet, 590 The Fan. Uh, big Monday night or two, Bills in Tennessee to square off against the Titans. And I think that performance Sunday night solidifies that, to me, in my opinion, Brennan, the Bills are the best team in the AFC. And I, you can probably argue they're the best team in the NFL. Uh, I, I, although the Cardinals are undefeated, uh, there's issues with Kyler Murray and his health, but we won't get into that now. But what I've seen from the Bills, the defense looks like the 2019 edition of the of the Bills, not the last season edition. And Josh Allen continues to be a guy who's right there in the MVP conversation. And the thing is, too, to me, Brendan, they're hungry, right? They're they're incorporating their tight end now in their passing game. They're running the football more. It's not a fantastic running game, but it keeps the defense honest. I just don't see any weaknesses right now in the Buffalo Bills. And if they continue on their trajectory, the road to the Super Bowl is going to have to go through Buffalo in January. And good luck to whoever the hell is going to have to play the Bills in that stadium for a spot in the Super Bowl. Yeah, that was a statement win on Sunday night. That was exactly what and, they needed. And sorry, um, Brendan, that wasn't a win. That was an ass-kicking. Like, that was. was just, they went into Kansas City and destroyed the Chiefs. And I think even the score was a little kind to Kansas City with some uh, just some bad calls by the officiating. And I don't, like, that was such a win. They destroyed the Chiefs. And to me, they're far and away the best team in the AFC. Yeah, you nailed it. It, it, was, it was a definition of a statement win. And, and look, you said they were hungry as well. This team lost to the Chiefs kind of in an embarrassing fashion last year in, in the AFC Championship game. So they were looking to kind of come back against this team hard, and they did exactly that. Yeah, the, the, what's, what's awesome right now about the team is how, how good their defense is playing. Their defense is playing at a super high level right now. They are first in football outsiders defense DVOA, which is kind of just showing how efficient they are. And they're first by a mile. So I said this on my podcast too uh, earlier this week. Leslie Frazier, the defensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills, deserves a ton of credit. I know Brian Dable, the offensive coordinator, and Buffalo gets all the love. And he was the guy that was going for interviews last year for head coaching job. But Leslie Frazier, this guy has been a head coach already in the NFL. He's, he's an NFL veteran. He has his defense playing really hard right now. This guy deserves interviews, and he deserves a job at the end of the year, a head coaching job next year. And so is Brian Dable. Both their, both their coordinators are doing a fantastic job. And, yeah, Josh Allen right now looks like the best weapon in football. With the, with the ball in his hands in the red zone, he is impossible to bring down. And that's what Brian Dable is doing. He's utilizing – Josh Allen as the main weapon in the run game. Their, their Buffalo Bills running backs have just been kind of a, a, a circle of death, if that makes sense, that you can't find the right guy to play. There hasn't been a lot of production out of them. So what they've done is they've used Josh Allen kind of as their main runner and their focal point of their run game, and it's working brilliantly. He's such a tough guy to bring down in tight spaces. So 
I, I think Buffalo, you can make the argument, is the best team in football right now, and they are playing just at an extremely high level. So with that being said, and, uh, you know, we, we see a lot of turnover in the NFL when it comes to personnel. How much of the Bills' success is, you know, partially due to the fact that they are returning a lot of guys like you know offensively um they they've returned basically everybody except john brown we've obviously seen you know dawson knox take his game to the next level um defensively it's basically the same unit but they added star latulale who who didn't play last season and they brought in gregory Rousseau in the draft along with boogie basham the first two picks like if there's not a lot of turnover amongst their starters, like how much of the continuity helps this Bills team going forward? Also, because there is a common goal here, and the guys who have tasted defeat like they did in the AFC Championship game against Kansas City. Yeah, it was it was weird this year. You had the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Buffalo Bills, two of the top four teams in the NFL. They didn't have their coordinators nip from them. They didn't have, lose a lot of personnel. Both those teams kind of ran it back, and that's very rare to see with top teams in the NFL because usually teams will come and steal your defensive coordinator, your offensive coordinator, and he will become a head coach. That always happens to the top teams in the NFL. And, and Buffalo, for Buffalo's uh, instance, they ran it back entirely on offense except for John Brown. And then you replace him with Emmanuel Sanders. That's an upgrade, in my opinion. He's been great so far to start the season. And then on the defensive side of the ball, they had the one issue or the one weakness that they had was their pass rush. They weren't able to kind of get at Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs last year. And that was, you, can, you can tell that was like the one weakness of that football team. And Brandon Bean, the general manager of Buffalo, did a great job of realizing that and attacking it this offseason. He used their first two picks on, on pass rushers and, and Carlos Basham. And Gregory Rousseau, Gregory Rousseau, of course, had that interception in the Sunday night game. So they, they realized what their weaknesses were, and they attacked it. That was great job by the front office there. And they're also, like you said, they're getting ascending guys, younger guys taking that step up. A guy like Dawson Knox taking a step up. So th- this team in general, it, it was very cool and unique to kind of see two really good football teams run it back. You don't really see that often in the NFL. Brendan, what do you expect from the Raiders in Denver uh, tomorrow without a new coach, with a new voice. Uh, that can't be easy for Las Vegas. And I think they're at a massive disadvantage here against the Broncos. Do you not? Yeah, I agree. I, 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 the only way to explain it is like it's literally an absolute disaster what happened to them. Like your head coach getting, uh, getting let go six, five weeks into the season, already coming off of two losses. And for what he got let go for, it's just in your locker room. I, I can't even imagine what's going through those guys' minds. And it's going to be really tough to kind of bounce back after everything that's coming on the news and, and all the media coverage on them. But in, in history, um, um, coaches that get fired like halfway through the year, the next game, the kind of interim head coach does historically kind of bounce back well. So maybe there's kind of just some like, rally around this guy luck going for them this week. The biggest problem with Vegas right now is their run game is atrocious. They are 30th in offensive offensive run game efficiency. They cannot run the football to save their lives. They're relying on Derek Carr to kind of carry this football team. And, look, I I like Derek Carr. I think he's a top 10, maybe top 12 quarterback in the NFL. But he's not a guy that you can kind of say, hop on my back, I'll carry you to the the, the playoffs. They're going to need some help from from the uh, run game. Josh Jacobs, maybe Kenyon Drake steps up. And the, John Gruden this offseason and Mike Mayock, they, they poached their own offensive line. They had the best offensive line in football. Then this offseason, they completely scrapped it. They got rid of four of their five starters to kind of help their defense, and the moves that they made didn't really pan out. So, yeah, I was not a big on Vegas going into this year, and now I'm even, I'm even lower on them. 
Brendan Deeg, writer for the National Football Post. Brendan, thanks for this. Enjoy week six. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, uh, to me, Matt, Buffalo Bills, the class of the AFC, and if things go according to plan, and if you look at their kind of schedule, um, there's no reason why that can't be the number one seed in the bye in the first round of the AFC playoffs after that monstrous win Sunday night. Well, especially because um, the team that everybody thought that they that was going to challenge, and they still might. Like the the can this is a long season. The Kansas City Chiefs may end up finishing as you know the best team in the AFC West, and the 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 thing is now is the Bills have the tiebreaker with them, right? Like they yep. they own the tiebreaker over the Chiefs for home field advantage. I, George, could you imagine an AFC Championship game? At uh, at Highmark Stadium or whatever the heck they're calling it now, like I I couldn't even imagine what that building would be like in January. It would be an absolute gong yeah. show. Like yeah. you couldn't. So I and and you know the Josh Allen didn't start the season all that well, and through the first uh, I believe it was four. Well, through let's say let's say through the first you know four or five weeks they've scored you know, 30 or more points in four uh, in four or five games. Like, that's mm-hmm. that's not insignificant. Yes, they played nope. the Houston Texans. Yes, they played the Miami Dolphins. But when you look at it, you know, in some of those games, the Bills' offense didn't even look like they were clicking. The only game really, like the, the Kansas City game, it looked like the offense was really was doing a good job. Um, and the Washington game. Outside of that, I don't think that the offense was overly – dominant in those games and still managed to put up points yeah and the defense was shutting opponents down all right uh one hour to go in the program hazel may blue jays reporter and covering the alcs for sportsnet will join us and jay con coast to the point in the fantasy hockey hockey show hacky hockey show on sirius xm nhl radio that's matt i'm george sportsnet today sportsnet 590 the fan the sports information you can't live without is right here on sportsnet today sportsnet 590 the fan Two hours in the books, one more to play with. Sportsnet today, George Russick, Matt Marchese here. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Later on this hour, Jay Kahn, co-host of The Point, and the Fantasy Hockey Show on Sirius XM NHL Radio. But right now, she's a Blue Jays reporter and covering the ALCS for Sportsnet. We say good morning to Hazel May. Hazel, how are you? Thanks for this. Morning, guys. Thanks for having me on. Um, Hazel, can you remember in all your time as a as a media member covering baseball and just watching baseball that so many fans are hate watching a series? <laughs> Actually, uh, no, I I can't remember. Although it is quite you know for those of us kind of on the outside looking in on the hate between uh, the Astros and and the Red Sox, it's quite entertaining, don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, it it absolutely is. And I'm sure there's – it's an interesting dichotomy with some fans and I'm sure some hardcore baseball fans. I think a lot of us, Hazel, would like to see Dusty Baker actually win a world championship as a manager because the guy has done so many great things in the game. But at the same time, he would manage the Houston Astros to a world championship, and I think that would be – that would stick in the craw of a lot of baseball fans. I know. And if anybody's spent any amount of time with Dusty, I mean, he is one of the – the true gentleman uh, in the game. He's one of those good guys. He's obviously uh, well-versed in the game. He's been managing for over three decades. And you, you do. You, you pull for those guys, but then you think about <laughs> the guys that he's managing, 
And yeah, it's a little bit of a, you know, you're kind of sitting on the fence. Do you want them to succeed? Do you not want them to succeed? But as, as you guys know, ever since he um, was hired by the Astros, he is the absolute perfect guy to lead a team in that kind of transition away from A.J. Hitch, away from the cheating scandal. He was kind of the calming force. Um, and, you know, a veteran manager that can lead um, at the time, you know, a young core into into uh, getting over that hump of the cheating scandal and just kind of getting everything back on track. So, yeah, it's interesting. I pull for Dusty all the time. Um, at the end of the day, though, I can understand why fans would be torn because of the, the guys that he manages. Hazel, last night's game felt like a, one of those you-take-it-I-don't-want-it games. Um, and I, I'm assuming that nobody thought it was going to be a bullpen day for both teams, uh, let alone right. even just one of them. Um, so if the if the the starting pitching for the the Red Sox you know struggles in this series, doesn't that have to lend itself well to the the Astros, especially because just their their bullpen is it's just better than the Red Sox right now. Like even if their starters, you know, the Astros starters don't manage to you know have good outings, does they have to feel a little bit more comfortable than the Red Sox looking at their bullpen, don't they? Well, absolutely. If, if you look at the way that Alex Cora has managed this postseason, he's basically telling you how much confidence he has in his bullpen guys because he's bringing starters in um, into these ball games. If I'm if I'm the Astros, I mean I'm feeling pretty good about our chances right now. You've won Game One. You're at home. You've got a second game this afternoon. Um, you've obviously been toe-to-toe with them over the regular season. You've won five out of seven meetings against the Red Sox. But knowing that Alex Cora is bringing in starters because he doesn't have that much confidence in his bullpen. And the bullpen, as you said, hasn't been that reliable, not only this postseason, but over the course of the regular season. So I would, if I'm the Astros, I'm feeling pretty good about my chances going into this afternoon's game. Uh, Hazel, I know uh, baseball is so analytically driven and that a lot of fans and media will say, well, the manager doesn't really mean that much. But from your time in Boston, what does Alex Cora back as the manager meant to this Red Sox team? Because obviously uh, they were kind of in the fog there without him. They get him back. Boom, they're back into the postseason. Yeah, I mean, um, Xander Bogarts was asked about that in his media avail yesterday. Uh, a media member asked him, you know, is Alex Cora different now coming back from the suspension? Is he a different person? Has he been managing differently? And Bogart said no. It was very seamless for a lot of the guys that um, were under him. In fact, Bogarts and a couple of other veterans were in communication with Cora during his suspension. Um, you know, not only are there his players at the time, but they're also very friendly and they're friends. And they said that he hasn't changed. He's obviously been very emotional and very open about his suspension and, you know, what it's done to his daughter and his family. But outside of that, they said he's just the same Alex. And I feel like the fact that he's been able to walk through that Red Sox clubhouse and kind of pick up where where they left off has really benefited all those players. Hazel, when we when we break down these two teams, um, you know, they've obviously gotten to this point because they're very good. But, you know. When we when we break them down, it does really seem like it's kind of it's evenly matched. I, I guess you would take, you know, the Red Sox starters at this point over Houston's, but on the flip side, you're taking Houston's bullpen over the Red Sox bullpen. And then when you look at at you know the position players from top to bottom, it's 
pretty close. Like, when was the last time you've seen a, a series that's been as evenly matched as this one has? I actually don't remember. And when you think about they've got the big superstars uh, on either lineup, but the rest of the uh, batting order, one through nine, that bottom part of that order can also uh, be dangerous. So you're right. They are evenly matched. I can't remember a series as evenly matched as this. You expect expect a, a slugfest, but this is also two very good defensive teams. Uh, we saw that yesterday. We saw those terrific catches by Kike Hernandez. Now, we saw Altuve kind of um, uh, boot a couple of balls, but overall, these are two very good offensive teams and good defensive teams, and uh, to say that this particular series is going to be interesting is going to be, you know, it's, it's entertaining, it's going to be interesting, but I think it's going to be a close game. I don't, I don't for a moment think this one's going four, um, maybe not even five, but I could see this series go six and seven for sure. Um, Hazel, I know you got to run, but one more quick one before you go. Um, if, if the Houston Astros do this and they win another world championship, does that legitimize the 2017 win and a lot of the same core is intact from that team four years ago? Does it legitimize that World Series championship a little more? And do you think that weighs on the mind of the guys who are on this team right now? I don't know if it legitimizes 2017. Um, I feel like, you know, they they don't have, you know, George Springer. Uh, they didn't have Marwin Gonzalez for most of the season. But like you said, they do have the core. And they've been, you know, really uh, Major League Baseball has kept an eye on the quote-unquote cheating um, methods throughout baseball. They've been keeping a close eye on a lot of teams. I think it would be really difficult for them to get back to their quote-unquote old ways now. I feel like if they do win the World Series, I feel like, you know, this is the team, the 2021 team, is legitimately the World Series champions if it gets that far. Mm. I don't think it wipes away what happened in 2017. I really don't. If this 2021 club wins it, they won it by their talent. Um, they won it. Look at the entire, the regular season. They didn't just kind of slide into the postseason. They right. were a, a dominant team from the get-go, from spring training up until now. Hazel May is a Blue Jays reporter and covering the ALCS for sports. And Hazel, thanks for your time today. Thanks. Okay, thanks. There she goes, Hazel May. Um, does it legitimize it to you at all if the Astros go on and win this thing? I don't think so. Um what happened happened um and and the guys that are on the team you know there's a trajectory that they go on they get better or whatever i i just i have a hard time legitimizing it now having said all that the astros aren't the only team that that does this it's just that they got caught exactly so so that's why like maybe maybe my answer is it doesn't legitimize it because it was already legit because everybody else is doing what they did they just got caught How's that for a take? It's like the steroid era that they should put all the guys from the steroid era into the Hall of Fame because everybody was using steroids, including the pitchers. Correct. Yeah. Hundred uh, percent. Baseball's a game that uh yeah, you cheat to win in baseball. It's just how it works. It's always been that way. You try to steal signs. You steal signs if you're on second base. You give uh hitters location on where the pitch potentially might go. Like the the, the sport cheating is ingrained into the sport. And yeah, a lot of people are all upset. But if you actually look at the numbers and you dig deep there, uh, the Astros were actually, uh, the pitching was a big reason why they did it, uh, why they won the world championship. And that had nothing to do with them hitting. It was their pitching. 
uh, was the big reason why they ended up winning the world championship. But I'm here for an Astros Dodgers rematch. What about you? Sign oh, me up. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Bring it on. As much as I would like to see Alex Anthopoulos um, win yeah. a, a you know a World Series. I mean, yeah. Give me give me narrative street. 10 times yeah. out of 10 george like i i you know it does get it does get a little um cliche a lot of the time but i don't care anymore it, like give me all the narratives give me give me the idea of a dodgers pitcher throwing at an astros player at, in the world series happened. yes yes be please, awesome yes like okay george at the end of the day um people can say what they want about wrestling and it being you know what it is it is sports entertainment but the stuff that wrestling does the way they they well maybe not now but the way they used to write like the wwe scripts during the attitude era like that stuff was of legend i want more wrestling in my sports i want there to be hatred i want to whether it's fake or not i don't care i want bad blood i want rivalries and if you want narrative street houston against the dodgers is like the ultimate narrative street with what's what's happened over the past uh few years oh give me that give me that 10 times out of 10 yeah no question um could you imagine if clayton kershaw just drills jose altuve in the back Oh yes! Oh my God! Clear the benches. Everything, George. Give it all to me. I'll uh, yeah. get everything. I want it all. I could see Max Scherzer doing something, even though he wasn't involved in that. Like he's just such a and giving you that death stare. Yeah, with, with two his different two color different eyes. colored eyes. Yeah, it's even yeah, more what's scarier. That, what's that called again? I have to. I have to look it up every time. I think it's heterochromia. I I, I just wish we weren't so dumb sometimes and just knew that no, right I, away. I've, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that's what. It, uh, yeah, heterochromia. I was right. Oh, it's because job. I've had to look it up like a hundred times before. I'm pretty sure. And it's it doesn't stick in your in brain. Brain. Yeah, it has to. Uh, that's okay. Um, Leafs. A lot of leaf move. A lot of leaf news uh, going on right now. As uh, we've done the show, as they get set to square off against the Ottawa Senators. Uh, if you didn't, if you didn't hear it earlier, uh, Alex uh, Bishop uh, has been called up. Uh, he plays for the University of Toronto. He plays. Uh, the Leafs don't have a backup goaltender because of some salary cap issues. He's going to back up Jack Campbell tonight because uh, they have to wait till next week to potentially bring up Michael Hutchinson. So Alex Bishop from the University of Toronto signed a one-game amateur tryout and will be the backup for the Toronto Maple Leafs tonight because Peter Mrazek can't go. And Timothy Lilligren uh, appears to be making his season debut. Justin Hall absent from the morning skate. It looks like Justin Hall is banged up as well. Just two games into the season, Matt, and the Leafs dealing with some injuries here. And God bless Alex Bishop, but if you're a Leaf fan, please don't get hurt, Jack Campbell. Correct. Um, although, uh, this, I think this is even more concerning, and it's more from the Leafs, um, especially Alex Kerfoot's perspective. Uh, he was asked about Alex Bishop. Uh, Luke Fox had this tweet. Um, and he asked, you know, how he looked. And he said, well, he looked pretty good. I didn't score on him. Okay, that's a problem for me, George. <laughs> I, I didn't <laughs> score on him is not giving me any sort of um, hope for, for tonight's game against Ottawa. You guys had a hard time scoring against Anton Forsberg. So, I mean, yeah, no, it, 
it's early days. Um, I wonder how much of this stuff is just precautionary at this point because it's early in the season. Having said that, um, I didn't think Justin Hall looked all that great, uh, especially last game. So, I mean, is it the worst thing that you get a look from Timothy Liljegren, who And I can't remember who it was on the station uh, that made this point, but he's like the oldest 22 or 23-year-old that you've ever met. Right, it feels like he's been in the been around the Leafs. Like, like he looks years. like Greg Oden. Is that what you're trying to say? No, Greg Oden looked okay. forty when Greg Oden was drafted. Timothy yeah. Lilligan is like you know early thirties. Yeah, it just he's a guy that. How much more do we need to see from Timothy Lilligan before the Maple Leafs eventually say, you know what, maybe it's time for him to move on to somewhere else? Like how well, how, and- how much more of a leash does Timothy Lilligren have, or he is what he's going to be in his NHL career? He's like a six seven defenseman. He's he's twenty two years old. You know that's what I will point back to. Again, it feels like he's been around forever, but he really hasn't. So there, George, there are some defensemen. It's a harder position to develop yeah. in than a forward, right? Um, no question. So that's why I, I'm I'm willing to give it some more time. Listen. He had some pedigree when he came out of the draft. Like there were a lot of people that said that he should have gone higher than he did when he, you know, you know, at the time fell into the Leafs lap. I, I believe it was pick 17. So, you know, I, I'm willing to give it some time. And George, the other thing is too, is, you know, we both envision that Morgan Riley is not a part of this group next season. Somebody's going to have to take up and step, take a spot, right? Like yeah. somebody's going to have to step up here, and maybe that's Timothy Lilligren. I think you got to know what you have with him. He's probably too good to play in the AHL, but he may just be a tweener at this point in his career. But again, only twenty-two years old. Like I'm willing to wait a little bit. And it's so true when it comes to defensemen, right? Uh, the old two hundred game uh, experience in the NHL to really find out what sort of defenseman, I still think that still holds true now. You see guys like Kale McCarr burst out onto the scene, and I get that, and they get all the highlight headlines, but it, it does take a lot of seasoning for these guys to blossom. Look how long it took Victor, Victor Hedman, the number one pick in the draft, to blossom to the best defenseman in the league. It even took Victor Hedman a while to get used to the NHL game. It did, um, and look what's happened. Now, there are, like you mentioned, there are some guys that come into the NHL that are just you know, hair on fire and, and they look great. Um, but there are others um, and they don't have to be superstars either. There, there's guy, you know, like, like Ryan Graves is a really solid defenseman, but really didn't come into his own until, you know, a couple of seasons ago. And now he's with New Jersey. Ryan Pulak just signed a, a, a big contract with the New York Islanders. And, you know, Ryan Pulak was a first round pick and Ryan Pulak, you know, didn't, he, he wasn't a star by any stretch of the imagination early in his career, but he's really rounded into form. It's about coaching. It's about, you know, the group that surrounds certain players. It's, you know, style has a lot to do with development for players as well, especially for defensemen. So plenty of opportunity for Timothy Lilligren, I'm assuming, because he's the next guy in line when guys get hurt, as we've seen. So there's going to be, I believe, plenty of opportunity for him because you know, George, we we haven't really discussed this in terms of the length of the season. Like these these guys have not played 82 games the last two years, basically. And there's going point. to be an adjustment period here. So, yeah. you know, for for there's going to be injuries. 
you know, guys might just be tired. Like, I know it's crazy for me to say that these, these guys are professional athletes and they should be in great shape. But, you know, when you haven't played all that much and your schedules have been all over the place, these guys are a creature of, they're creatures of habit. So there's going to be plenty of opportunity. He just needs to step up and take it. Yeah, I think that's a great point. But I also think that affects more of the Western Conference teams than it will the Eastern Conference teams, right? Just based on the travel. Because that's I, great. I don't disagree with that part. No, for sure. Yeah, like it's it's a lot easier for teams like the Leafs to do it. But again, you're right. Like a lot of these guys, wow, yeah, we're back to 82 games. That's a big chunk. And John Tavares is a guy, and it's only two games. But we saw it last year, right? What, at the beginning of the season when we came back, um, John Tavares had the extra spring in his step, right? Do you remember those first few games? He just looked quicker out on the yep. ice. I'm just wondering where that went. Uh, is is it still, maybe he's still a little uh, hesitant out there. I don't know if he is. I don't think he is. But just that little half extra step he had last season when he came back, and that was this year in January when play came back. I just feel like we haven't seen it yet from John Tavares, and I'm not sure we will. Well, let let we can harken back to when John Tavares came into the NHL, and even before that, George, um, I I skated with John Tavares when I was 16 years old once. Um, hands were incredible. Not the greatest skater. Um, that's always been the knock on John Tavares, even going back that far. We're talking about 16 years ago, and has he improved as a skater over time? Absolutely. But he's never been a guy who has had to win with his speed. He's always been smarter than the majority of the players he plays against. He's very crafty. And, and he's certainly not afraid to go to certain spots on the ice, right? So uh, I'm less concerned because John Tavares has never really had to use his speed to get things no. done. You, you'd like him to be you know, a little bit faster. And I agree, right. it does look like he's maybe lost a step, but in the same breath, I just think it's so early to to make judgments on certain guys. Like, and even this Leaf team, offensively, you know, they haven't been able to score at a pace that we come to expect from them, especially against two teams that we believe are inferior opponents. But having said that, there's no Austin Matthews in the lineup, and yeah. I just I wonder how much slotting guys into where they're comfortable. Maybe John Tavares is just better with William Nylander. Maybe that's, you know, they've built up some chemistry. Maybe that's what we need to get yeah. back. And then John Tavares gets some comfortability back in his game. Yeah, I'm not I'm not saying like he's he's too slow out there and he's a liability by any stretch, but For I sure. think at the back end of his deal, uh, I think his skating will be an issue and lack of foot speed. But I'm I'm just, just remembering that, yeah, that's something we talked about here on this radio station, that John Tavares looked a little step quicker. And I just haven't seen that yet. And I just hope it isn't any residual effect from that horrible injury he suffered in the playoffs. I don't think it is. It's just you want to see that extra half step. And you're right. Like, that's just going to be even better for the Maple Leafs when they have that one-two punch because that's what he was brought in to be here. To, it's like pick your poison, Austin Matthews, John Tavares, and clearly Matthews is one of the best players in all of the NHL. But when you have that chemistry with William Nylander, the Leafs are a dangerous team and can score a ton of goals. And I and and you're right. Like until Austin Matthews is in this lineup, uh, we're not even close to what this team is supposed to look like. I just I just wish uh, you could see that extra half step. And there's pressure on John Tavares. He said like uh, we we talked to Ian Mendez earlier about Thomas Shabbat and Team Canada. John Tavares wants to be on Team Canada, and right now, uh, Matt, I'm not sure he's he's on Team Canada. 
I I don't have him on the team as of yet. Now that could change because I think there's some guys that are. I don't. He's a bubble guy. Yeah, I don't want. They're interchangeable in you know, and it's going to be whoever steps up. Like Sean Couturier, I probably have ahead of John Tavares because I think that just as a as a checker, he's he's a better option. Um, trying to think of who else would be kind of on that bubble, like Matthew Barzal is. He's he's kind of there. Like, where does does Claude Giroux fit into this conversation? Mark Stone so. is another guy that Mark is Stone's probably, a lock to me. Mark Stone's a lock so, on eh? Team Canada. Does his does his foot speed worry you on the big ice surface? Because that's You're playing that's NHL the same ice. conversation. Well, I guess yeah. I, so my I guess my point is, in that type of a game, does does Mark Stone? You know, I I have him there as well. But you know now he's he's hurt early on. Like there's going to be some guys. Actually, we can kind of have this conversation here. Um, what does a guy who is on the periphery have to do to get onto Team Canada? Because basically, you know, they have from October to December to to make waves because the roster has to be announced in January. Like how much does a guy that may be kind of on the outside looking in have to? have to do like do you have steven stamkos on your team canada right now probably right oh yeah i right like at this point i think i take Tavares over stamkos see that's that's very interesting for me um because he gives that yeah that's the conversations we're gonna have like i i watched a lot of tampa bay playoff hockey i watched every obviously every second of that stanley cup and stamkos didn't wow me at all like and the guys dealt with a ton of injuries. And I don't know, I just think John Tavares at this point is a better player than Steven Stamkos. And everybody, it's too bad because Stamkos had all those injuries and I get all of that. And and what happened in 14 was very unfortunate, even though they gave him a gold medal. But yeah, I, I, take, I take John Tavares over Steven Stamkos. When you kind of talk about the projected roster, and this stuff's always super fun, like you have locks. Well, we already know... McDavid and uh, um, Sidney Crosby are on the team. Big shocker there. I don't think there's there's any surprises here when you look at some of the other guys. Uh, Braden Point's a lock to make that team. Patrice wow. Bergeron's a lock to make that team. We talked about it earlier. Mitch Marner's a lock to make that team. Nathan McKinnon's a lock to make that team. Brad Marchand's a lock to make that team as well. I think Jonathan Huberto's a lock to make that team. We're just talking about the fourth line here. That's essentially what we're talking about right now. Is Mark Shifley? Do you take Mark Shifley over John Tavares? I, I think I do, George. I, you know what? I, I do want to go back to a player that you mentioned, like Braden Point. Is Braden Point there because John Cooper is the coach, or do you believe that Braden Point no, is he's... among the thirteen best forwards in yes. the NHL right now? Yeah, and I, I absolutely do. And he's an yeah. he's he's the glue like down the middle of that Tampa Bay team. He's and his speed is incredible. And I and I keep uh wanting to hope uh John Cooper puts together Point, McDavid, and McKinnon together as the fastest line in the history of the NHL. Oh, I I I do wonder about how that top line is going to work out. Like I think I think the way okay, did you mention Bergeron as a lock as well? Lock. Okay, so so we've pretty much said that. Sidney Crosby, Brad Marchand, and Patrice Bergeron is a lock to play together, right? I think that's pretty yeah, and safe. Yeah, all three of those guys are making the team. I don't think there's any question. Okay, so then, so there's that. Then we look at McDavid. I think McDavid and McKinnon are going to play together. I think that's pretty that's much awesome. a lock. 
I wonder, I wonder if Mitch Marner is the guy that goes on that line. I really do. As a guy who can distribute for those two players. That would be fun. That would absolutely be fun. We like, this is the best part about. Yeah. The Olympics. It's, it's like these teams that you can put together and it is going to be a shame that Jack Eichel is probably going to miss the Olympics because it would have been really great to see him and Austin Matthews as a one-two punch up the middle for the U.S. Because I think that team is 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 really good. But the Canadian team, I mean, look at the players that are not going to make it. It's incredible, and I know it's a it's an easy thing to point out, but it is really remarkable the guys that won't make this team. It just go. It just speaks to the depth of Team Canada, right, and how good Team Canada is. Um, we got about one more segment to go here. Keep those texts rolling into 590-590, uh, your best hangover cure. Uh, we'll get to them to wrap up the show, and we'll talk to Jay Kahn, co-host of The Point in the Fantasy Hockey Show on Sirius XM NHL Radio. We'll talk some Canada Olympic hockey, because that's what the fun part is, right, Matt? It's fun to talk about the Olympic team, and we have that, uh, if, in fact, the NHLers are officially going to Beijing, which we think so, but it's not 1,000% true as of today. All right, one more segment to go. That's Madam George, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. You have to excuse me. Sportsnet today. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. George Russick, Matt Marchese here for another 20 minutes. Leafs and Sens tonight down at Scotiabank. Uh, Alex Bishop, you don't know who that is. He's the goaltender for the University of Toronto. He'll be the backup tonight. He's been signed to an amateur pro tryout because the Leafs don't have any goaltenders because Peter Mrazek's hurt. The salary cap is what it is. They have a university kid as the backup to Jack Campbell tonight. Uh, to talk about that and to dabble in a little bit of the Canadian Olympic team, Jay Kahn, co-host of The Point in the Fantasy Hockey Show on Sirius XM NHL Radio. Jake, how are you, pal? Great, boys. Happy Sports Saturday. we got a full full slate of NHL hockey, finally the first Saturday of the NHL season. Tons of college football today, a couple of baseball playoff games. I'm sure there's a UFC card somewhere at some point as well. So a uh, great day to, to sit on the couch if you can and hang around watching sports. So I'm, I'm looking forward to chatting with you guys here. Don't forget Bundesliga, def- George. Yeah. Yep. I just <laughs> Can't watched forget German soccer. That's right. Uh, I just watched Borussia Dortmund uh, beat up on Mainz three uh, one. Erling Holland uh, with two goals. So I just watched that on Sportsnet. Love me some Bundesliga on Sportsnet. Yum yum yum. Tasty tasty tasty. Uh, Jake, um, we talked about the Canadian Olympic team, but I have to ask you some hard hitting mm-hmm. stuff to kick off the interview. Uh, what's your number one hangover cure? So, sorry. <laughs> Your hangover cure, because uh, oh, I was playing cure. a little hurt today, go. and our listeners have yeah. busted out a lot of uh, their hangover cures. Do you have oh. one specifically? Uh, for me, it's simple. It's simple, George. It's food and it's water. That's that's it for me. Okay. It's making sure to get a good meal down, and uh, sometimes that can be pretty difficult. I've had a couple couple tough ones. It's tough to get okay. that, that meal down in the morning. So for me, it's trying to get like a, a few eggs down, uh, something like something light that you can at least get in your stomach and then just a lot of water. And that's, that's kind of the play for me. Okay. Did you guys have it? Do you guys crack the code though? I'm, I'm open to suggestions here. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of Advil and Gatorade out pickle. there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, p- brine, pickle brine uh, has oh, been God. thrown out there as well. Oh, boy. On pickles. Yeah. <laughs> that's been thrown out there. Uh, sex is something that's been thrown out there as well. That's not an option when you're on the radio. 
so that one doesn't work. Well, um, I yeah. mean, you could, I mean, you could try, but it probably wouldn't go over very well. No, it would. <laughs> Does your self count? Um, no, that's not something you want to do. Um, uh, there's no transition here, uh, Jake. But we were talking about the Olympic team uh, before he jumped on because this is this is fun, right? We're supposed to be doing yeah. this stuff. When it's Olympic year, we want to talk about rosters. If you had a choice between Stamkos and Tavares, which one are you taking? Yeah, well, and that's a great question. I think it actually might come down to that because you want to bring a lot of these younger players and you still feel like you owe it to some of these veterans. And I think you have to assess where both guys are at and uh, throughout the course of the season, I, I would lean towards Steven Stamkos at this point. I really would. And I, I like both players. I think both players could be effective on that roster, but just the ability for Steven Stamkos to finish. If you want to put him on the power play as well, uh, he's great with that one timer on the power play. So uh, he probably fought in, at least on Canada's power play, he'd probably end up coming in on, on power play too. I don't know if he cracked that first unit, but I could see Stamkos chipping in on special teams. Um, and John Tavares, great player. Uh, you know, I'm not going to sit here and, and knock him or tear him down, but I would just give the, the slight lean to Steven Stamkos. And I, I think he's shown us over the past couple of seasons that he's getting more healthy, that, he, that he's playing a lot better now. So if he stays healthy uh, leading up to the Olympics, I, I, I'd give it to, to Stammer here. And how much of the John Cooper effect is in here? I know that John Cooper isn't going to be the be-all, end-all when it comes to making decisions. Like, there's a lot of smart hockey minds that are a part of Team Canada's front office and coaching staff. But um, John John Cooper says, hey, I know this guy. I've had this guy. I can work with this guy. Could that end up being the deciding factor in all this? Well, and Stamkos is such a versatile player. I think you can move him around the lineup, and John Cooper knows that, and you know, he's obviously coached him now for, for quite some time, and he's played him on the top line. You know, he's played him on, on the wing. He's played him on the second line. He's kind of moved him around a lot. Not saying John Tavares can't do that, but I, I just think that Stamkos is a bit more flexible and can play those those different sorts of positions and different sort of roles. And the role that he would be playing on, on Team Canada, I would imagine, would not be a very big one, even strength. He's, he's not going to be on the top line. He's not even probably going to be on the second line. He'd be looking at, at more of a bottom six role, not a ton of even strength minutes, and then maybe chipping in on the power play. So the, the way that I play it out in my mind, I would rather have a Steven Stamkos on my roster for that. And I feel like John Cooper will feel, feel the same way, but obviously injuries and, and play will be a big factor. Like if John Tavares uh, gets really hot over the next couple of months and is one of the top goal scorers in the league, how do you leave him off the team, right? So uh, I do think some of the play during this NHL season will indicate who we're going to see on, on that roster. Jake, we don't wish injuries on anybody on this show or no, ever. Of not. But just from a personal level and just the talk show fodder, how cool would it be if Alex Bishop somehow, someway found his way into the net for the Maple Leafs tonight? It would be it would be pretty cool. And obviously, like you said, it would it would take an injury, unfortunately, uh, for that to happen. And uh, I was there actually at the game uh, for the David Ayres night, and I'll never forget that night. Probably one of the more memorable nights I've had at, at any sporting event, really. Uh, for how everything sort of played out. It was a Saturday night, and then obviously the Canes ended up, ended up winning that hockey game. And that's just something, you know, you go to a lot of games. I go to a lot of hockey games, baseball games, basketball games, whatever it might be. And you're kind of used to seeing the same thing every time. When you walk away from that game, you're thinking, man, I just saw something that I don't know if I'm ever going to see again live. So uh, to see something like that, at least from a fan experience, was so cool and something I'll never forget. So, yeah, if that did happen, I mean, he personally would never forget that. But the fans in the building, uh, I think, would never forget that as well. Why not just give them the start, George? Just just give them the start. Sure. They're early early in the season. You can make these points up later in the year. Come on. Alex Kerfoot couldn't score on him in, in practice today, so that's a good sign. Yeah. There you go. Put him in. Give give, give right. the give the kid a start.
Yeah, that's it's not good for it's not good for Alex Kerfoot. But um, you know, we talked we talked about the Canadian Olympic team, and and I think I'm assuming we're all on the same boat here that Mitch Marner is you know as close to a lock as you can get on this team, and you know, obviously he wore a lot of the stain uh, from last year's playoff loss to Montreal. What does Mitch Marner have to do this season to, um, I guess? reacquaint himself with the Toronto Maple Leafs fan base and kind of get them off of his back? No, yeah, I think that's a great question. And unfortunately for Mitch, um, I, I, you know, I could be wrong here, but unfortunately for Mitch, I think that he has to do it in the playoffs. I think almost anything that he does in the regular season isn't really going to appease the fan base. Like he could go up and put, put up a hundred points this year and you know people would take notice. I mean, a hundred points is a hundred points. I don't care who you are. That's a, that's an impressive number to put up. He could go and put up those point totals and we're still going to be dropping the puck on game one of the playoffs, whoever the Leafs are playing against. And the narrative is going to be, can Mitch Marner get it done in the playoffs? Is he going to play well in these tough games in these more physical games? So almost, I don't want to say in, it doesn't matter what he does in the regular season, but at least from a Leafs fan perspective, because you know it matters in terms of what he's trying to do and the points he's trying to put up to meet his contract and the money that he makes. But just from a, a fan perception standpoint, I, I think it only really matters what he does in the playoffs, and, and that's what that's what it's all going to come down to for Mitch Marner. He's going to have to step up in those big games and play really well, and then I think he can win over uh, a lot of Leaf fans. And he can win them over quickly, as you guys know. Uh, fickle fan base will get on you really quick. Uh, but they'll they'll jump back on your side pretty quick as well if Mitch Marner scores some big playoff goals for them. Jay Kahn is the co-host of The Point in the Fantasy Hockey Show on Sirius XM NHL Radio. Joining us here, Sportsnet today, George and Matt, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Um, Jake, when it comes to the Maple Leafs and Morgan Riley, uh, defensemen are making bank like they never have before yeah. in the history of the league. And another example was the Charlie McAvoy contract with an AAV of $9.5 million. Is there any way that the Leafs can bring back Morgan Riley? Like, what is that number for Morgan Riley going to look like if he does hit unrestricted free agency this summer? It's going to be really difficult for the Leafs to get it done, and and you have to think that someone would have to go to to make it happen. And then I think that that's going to be a really difficult decision for the Leafs. Like, do you want to lose something up front? Do you want to lose something on this team uh, to afford being able to sign a defenseman? You know, and I think a lot of it might depend on what you see out of the other defensemen this year. You know, if Rasmus Sandin takes a a huge step this season, maybe you look at it and say, okay, is he ready to to take on a big role? Like, he's going to have to take a pretty big step, but it is possible over an 82-game season. If you look at him and and he looks like he's, you know, he's trending towards being one of those, those top pairing defensemen, then I think you can look at Morgan Riley and not say that you don't need him, but in a salary cap world, say, okay, maybe maybe we can look in a different direction here. So I I do think a lot of it is going to depend on what happens this season with with some of these other defensemen, but it's just hard to to make it work. When you look at their salary cap situation, the money that they're paying other guys and the term and and the money, like you mentioned, that some of these defensemen are getting, I mean, guys are just, are just banking. These these defensemen, these top pairing defensemen are getting huge money. You know, Darnell Nurse gets huge money. Seth Jones gets huge money with the Chicago Blackhawks. You just mentioned Charlie McAvoy, who didn't even get the Boston Bruins discount. The Bruins get a discount on like every player that they sign, uh, but yet they still had to break the bank for Charlie McAvoy. Give him nine and a half. 
Uh, Kel McCarr, I believe, came in at $9 million per year. So all these guys are getting big, big money. Um, I don't know if I put Morgan Riley in the category with a few of those guys that I mentioned, but he'd, he'd be right underneath them. So he would still command some, some pretty big money uh, in a contract where he's going to want to hit it big. At this point of his career, you know, late 20s, early 30s, that's the contract where these guys want to get some term. They want to get some money uh, because it's probably going to be their last chance to truly, truly hit it big. So it's going to be a tricky situation for the Leafs to navigate. In uh, saying all that, uh, this is going to be a key year for Rasmus Sandin to kind of take the next step in his development. And, and early returns have been pretty good, I would say. Um, yeah. Certainly hasn't looked overmatched defensively and offensively. He's just so smart with the puck. And, and it gives you, you know, that hope that he is going to turn into that player that Morgan Riley ended up becoming. Um, when we look at Rasmus Sandin, what do you need to see from him this year for to, to have you know comfortability with him taking on more of a role especially next season like do you need to see him be able to kill penalties um mm-hmm. I, i'm assuming at some point we're going to see him quarterback the top unit on the power play i think that's that's going to happen what do you need to see from him so that you're comfortable heading into to next season and even later this year yeah, he's a player I actually watched a lot of uh, when he was coming up through the system. I, I try to go to a lot of Marley's games just to watch, no, not, not only the Marley's players, but just any other team that's coming in, get an eye on some of these guys in the American Hockey League. So I got a chance to watch him live a lot. And, you know, it's tough to project what you're seeing in the AHL over to the NHL. It's a different league. It's still a very tough league, though. It, you know, I give a lot of credit to people that can score and play well in the AHL. It's, it is not an easy league to, to produce and play well in. So I always liked what I saw from him. I always saw a ton of potential. I think uh, to answer your question, about this season I feel like I I know what he is I know he's going to be good on the power play I know he's going to be able to move the puck Um, I know he's got that poise with the puck and and those are all uh, things that I you know I think that you can put in the pro column with Rasmus Sandin Uh, I want to see the complete package and I know it's not going to be a finished product by the end of the season. He's still a young defenseman. You know, defensemen don't just develop into Norris Trophy winners right away. Uh, But I want to see that all-round game. I want to see him become sort of a shutdown defenseman because if you're going to pay him that kind of money on the back end eventually, down the road, if he's going to be your guy to sort of take over for Morgan Riley, if you don't sign Morgan Riley, you need him to be a rock back there in in some form. It's nice to move the puck. It's nice to pick up points. uh, But you need some sort of the defensive aspect of, of the game. And I think that's probably where Rasmus Sandin is lacking the most right now. And that goes for a lot of young defensemen coming into the league. That's a part of the game that is most difficult, I think, for them to, to figure out, especially some of the smaller, undersized defensemen. So that's that's what I'm looking for from Rasmus Sandin. You hope you don't sacrifice too much of the offense for it, but I, I want to see him play solid in his own end uh, so the Leafs just aren't, aren't a complete disaster because the, the Leafs are great, as we know, playing with the puck. When they have the puck, they're, they're great. They're you know, magicians with that puck. Uh, what's wrong with the Leafs over the past couple of years is when they don't have the puck. And uh, I think that's... That's a big issue for them and the reason why they lose more games than they probably should. And and that's something I'm going to be watching for Sandine this year. Jake, is the kicking the puck in, in the net in the NHL a broken rule? Because I don't even know what kicking yeah. is anymore. <laughs> it totally is. It totally is, George. I, you know, I know exactly what, what play uh, you're referring to, to in the, the Seattle-Vegas game the other night on, on that winning How goal. How is that a goal? Uh, yeah, well... How? It, it, it's so weird to me, right? Because... Uh, he clearly directs it in with his skate. Like you, I mean, you yes. said you're watching, you're watching Bundesliga soccer. Yeah, you're watching Bundesliga soccer this morning. That goal would have been great in the, in the Bundesliga. So you know, I I just think it's such a tricky rule with the way that it's defined right now. And there's there's so many different ways to look at it. Like I don't want guys 
rearing back their skate and, and kicking at the puck in the crease. I, I just think that that's dangerous. But I'm okay with a goal like that counting if we can all agree that, hey, you're allowed to, to redirect it. If somebody gives you a pass in your skates the way that that happened the other night and you can't get a stick on it and you want to just sort of throw your, your skate out there to see if you can redirect it in, I'm okay with that counting if we all want to agree that, that's, that that should count in the rule books. Um, I just don't want guys you know, running in there into a loose puck and, and trying to kick it with a, a skate blade. Then I think we're running into a bit of a dis- different situ- uh, situation. So I know, um, I know why the rule is there. I just think there's so much gray area to it that uh, you're never going to get a call that everybody's going to agree on. Uh, Jake, we, we talked about the Leafs as a, a playoff team this year. Um, as it pertains to them getting like I, I have them slightly ahead of Boston as long as the goaltending can stay healthy. Like if we see yeah. a lot of Michael Hutchinson, that's going to be a problem. Um, could it be just a case that the Leafs are in a better spot than a lot of teams in the Metropolitan Division just because of the schedule? Like that Metropolitan Division mm-hmm. looks like a complete monster. And even, you know, teams that that people think aren't going to be very good, like you know, the Columbus Blue Jackets, I still think the Columbus Blue Jackets are going to be a tough out every night as well. Like, are the Leafs just at an advantage just because of the schedule that they're going to play? Yeah, the interesting part about those two divisions and the Eastern Conference as a whole, the, the way that I looked at it, and we did preseason power rankings, which you take with a grain of salt, power rankings that change basically week to week and, and day by day. But I felt like the Atlantic division was top-heavy. There's, there's a ton of really good teams that I consider cup contenders in the Atlantic division. Uh, Toronto would probably be at the bottom end of that. I'd have Florida, Tampa, Boston in that cup contender status with Toronto you know, possibly in there as a fourth team. So when we did power rankings, I think I had four Atlantic teams uh, in my top eight of power rankings. That's how, that's how many good teams are, are in the Atlantic division. But the Metro, you're right, it, it's, it's deeper. It might not have the cup contending teams. I know, you know Islanders and Carolina are, are two of those teams to me going into the season. And then the rest of the teams are good. I, I just don't think that there's bad teams in the Metropolitan Division, whereas in the Atlantic, you can make the case that there's some, there's some bottom feeders. And um, I, I think that the Leafs will have the advantage over the teams in the, that they're going to have to battle with in the Metro. We assume that Carolina, uh, teams like Carolina and the Islanders are going to take a couple of those top spots in the Metro. Well, that doesn't affect the Leafs anyways. You know, three teams are going to make it from the Metro regardless. If the Leafs do have to cross over into any sort of wild card situation, I think they're better than a lot of those teams they'll be fighting with in the Metropolitan Division, those you know, middle, middle teams in the Metro. I think they'd have the leg up on those teams. So I'm with you. I would have, probably have them slightly ahead of Boston, if not right on par with Boston, probably battling for that three spot in the Atlantic Division where I'd have the, the two teams from the state of Florida, uh, Tampa and Florida, as, as the one-two teams, at least going into the season. Jake, before I let you go, uh, you've done a fantastic job jumping on inside the lines, giving us some uh, gambling advice when it comes to the That's National right. Hockey League. I'm going to give you a total before uh, we let you go. The Sabres host the Coyotes today in Buffalo. <laughs> Over under 6,499 and a half fans in the stands. I'll I'll take the over. I'm on, I'm actually on the over in the game in the game total as well. So why not why not okay. parlay both overs together? The over in the game, uh, over five and a half, and the over uh, on the fans in the building as well. It's you know I'm I'm canceling all my college football today. I'm just watching Yotes and Sabers. That's that's the main event yeah. of Sports Saturday today. Huge game. That's yeah, gonna. It's going to be Electric Factory at Key Bank Center. Jake Hahn from Sirius XM, NHL Radio, The Fantasy Show, and On The Point. Jake, always great stuff. Thanks for this, pal. Yeah, great talking to you, boys. Have a, have a nice Saturday. Uh, you can watch that game on Sportsnet, too. Um, luckily, uh, the border is apparently going to be opening up, we think, 
next month. That means more Buffalo Sabres games for people in Southern Ontario, Matt. Hey, now. Hey, now. I mean, hey, how, could you, don't how could you? Don't hate. Don't hate. Because <laughs> I love uh, my brother, uh, my nephew and I, we like to go watch other teams. Uh, you go on uh, a ticket website, and then you spend like 25 to $30, and you're sitting like 10 rows up from the ice to go see an Good NHL still game. Available. It's great. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. It, it, it's it's certainly – well, and for you, it's a little bit easier because you are closer to the border. I've now moved even yes. further away from the border, so it is a little bit of a haul for myself. Um, okay. But, you know, I always enjoyed going to watch uh, games in Buffalo. I believe I went to go see a – I don't even know how we got tickets, but it was a, a Sabres Flyers playoff game that we went to uh, oh, yeah. about probably a decade ago. And it was a blast. Like, listen, George, the in Buffalo, the sports fans are very passionate. I'm a Bills fan. I've been to plenty of Bills games at this at uh, I'll call it the Ralph, it, it, whatever it's called now. It doesn't matter. It's always the Ralph to me. Um, and it's always been great. So I, I do feel for the for the fan base because they've had to deal with so much of it. And and the NHL, in my opinion, is better when the Buffalo Sabres are better. Just like it's better when the New York Rangers are better. There's just something about it, those fan bases, yep. that they deserve well, you know, better than what they've been getting. Yeah. Especially in, in Southern Ontario, right? It is better when the Sabres are more relevant because we have more eyes on that. Uh, got about a minute here to go before we wrap things up. Uh, text line uh, just blew up today. Thank you for all your texts. We couldn't get all of them, but I'll read a couple more here on your best hangover cure. Uh, Joel in Newmarket, drink a little bit of the same thing you drank the night before. Works great for me. Interesting. That is interesting. Um, Marco from Mississauga, come on, boys. It has to be a Caesar, preferably spicy. Could you could you choke down a spicy Caesar if you're hungover, Matt? Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I actually, like, <laughs> okay. it's not my favorite thing in the world. But if I ha- and if I'm gonna have a Caesar, it's gonna be spicy. Uh, Carl in beautiful Welland, uh, Welland, Ontario, big fan of Welland, Ontario. Went to school in Welland, Ontario. The best way to prevent a hangover is alternate each drink with a glass of water. Yeah, I, I, in theory that works, Carl. But aren't you running you remember, to the bathroom every like two seconds if you do that, Matt? Oh yeah, you've you've broken the seal really early in the night, and that is never, never, never a good thing. Yeah, we've gotten a ton of marijuana and a ton of sex. Thank you for all of those. Suck uh, on a yeah, pickle. Uh, yeah, Leslie. We got that too. It. Les- <laughs> Leslie and Scarborough. That could be that could be misconstrued in so many ways. Leslie and Scarborough. Uh, good morning, gents. Enjoying the show as always. One, eat a substantial meal that will help you neutralize the alcohol. And two, lots of H2O. Yeah, lots of water is the prevailing theme in all this. Of course, got to drink a lot of the water. And uh, real Vitamin B rich foods. Okay, I'll look up which one of those are. Uh, thanks oh, uh, for all your texts. Work. Great stuff today. Uh, Matt, I had a lot of fun today. Uh, thanks for this. How about we do it next week? Yes, sir. And uh, hopefully I have a better cure for your hangover next week. No, I don't think I'll be hungover next week. But just I don't know what the week will bring. Uh, maybe, maybe will, maybe not. Uh, but uh, I've had a lot of fun, a lot of fun talking sports. Enjoy this uh, Leafs and Senators game tonight. I'll be back tomorrow for some Inside the Lines from 10 a.m. till 1 p.m. on the Sportsnet Radio Network. We'll talk to you later. Bye.